That's Sarah. And that chant is her World Cup match day ritual. But Sarah doesn't need rituals when paying. Visa's cutting-edge technology helps protect her payments. She trusts rituals for football. She trusts Visa for payments. Visa. How you pay matters. Official FIFA partner. Today's story is the story of Matt Simpkins. And on the way here, I was watching his YouTube channel, Matt Simpkins Living With Cancer. So that's going to be a big theme in this podcast. And my own little niece, years ago, she was diagnosed with leukemia. <coughs> and my sister had to give up a job. She was in and out of hospital. And, you know, fortunately, Great Ormond Street Hospital saved her life. Now, with Matt, he, he's been ravaged by the cancer and had various treatments. So it's up and down. You've seen the headline of what this video is as well. And the way that I met Matt was through DJ Mike Hot Wheels, one of my best friends. If anyone's ever read Party Time, my book about back in the rave days, Mike Hot Wheels was my, one of my ecstasy suppliers out of Los Angeles. So he ended up getting deported back to the UK for his crimes. He did some time in the feds in California and ended up in the UK prison system. And that's how he met Matt. Now, a few days ago, I come down, because I live with Mike, and a few days ago, I come down the stairs, I'm having my breakfast, and I hear Matt and Mike talking. And I learned that Matt was busted in this 15 million pound weed deal. Got the headlines, all, he's brought all his paperwork, all the newspaper stories here. Trio jailed over drug seizure. That's quite embarrassing. Saga of the trial of the three cannabis smugglers. Got the Irish Times. The trial of three Englishmen charged with possessing cannabis for supply following the seizure of £15 million worth on a boat on board a trawler <laughs> off West Cork was adjourned. And um, on and on, all the paperwork, on and on it goes. So because of the cancer... Matt has got a cough as well, so so bear with us through the interview. Now, whereabouts are you from originally then? Uh, the Cotswolds. I was from uh, Cheltenham. I was born in St. Paul's. So in... for the Americans then, whereabouts is that in the country? Uh, sort of the Cotswolds, uh, Bristol way, on the way over to sort of Wales that way. It's, it's a nice, it is a really nice sort of part of the world. Sort of a lot of the artists live there. I think, uh, yeah, it's just one of those sort of places that's uh, that is really nice. And, uh, you know, it's a nice place to be, really, the Cotswolds. I go back now and again to see my family and friends. I went there a few weeks back now and um, I actually went, because obviously I was sick with cancer. So I thought I'd go back and um, catch up with my family and friends. So I made a sort of a, a booked table in a, in a restaurant. Everybody knows, which is really nice. It was called the Apple Tree. So all these people turned up. Some of my school friends from 35 years ago turned up. It was like, oh, my God, you look old and bold and stuff. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, really, I was just like, oh, my God, you turned up. And they were sort of friends from school, which was so nice. But yeah, the Cotswolds is lovely. I just want to say as well, Matt Simpkins, Living With Cancer, the YouTube channel, is in the description box below this video. <coughs> I set it up for his, his family and friends to watch, but go over there and you can see um, the extent of the cancer and what he's dealing with. And I urge people also to subscribe. So it sounds like you grew up in a nice part of the country then. I did, but it wasn't 
to grow up in that part of the country was lovely, but it was a pretty shitty start. My, I had like some, I had a few dads. A few uh, dads? How, how many? Uh, one, two, three. Uh, how did that come about then? My first dad left me when I was a kid. So I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm a 67 boy, you know? It's one of those sort of things. Yeah. The hippie days. You know? Yeah. I'm sort of a yuppie hippie. I like nice things, but I like to be quite relaxed as well in my life. But um, So he bailed on your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My first dad bailed on the family. I was about one or two. And then okay. another dad came involved, which I'm not going to say his name, but he was a bastard. He kicked shit out of me. He was really violent. Beat my mum up and me and my brother. And he what was, what years what, did that occur over? Well, I was 67, so I'm talking about 67 years. About 69, 70. Oh, and dear. it was just like, but then again, back in the day, it was quite weird because um, there was no social services. Today, you fart and the social <laughs> services are on your case. But like, seriously, <laughs> it's true though. The social <laughs> services are there. And I had the shit I was like to lay. I had to sleep some nights on my front because my back was so bruised from my dad. Oh, God. And he was a horrible little man. And me and my brother Rick, love him dearly, Rick, bless him. We said, when we get older, we're going to beat him up. But we got older, we grew up, and. Uh, you just think you poor little shit. He was just a horrible little man, and that was it. Yeah. Was he doing alcohol or drugs or anything? Oh yeah, well? heroin. Yeah. Like when I was going to school, I used to live in Forty Two A Longs Road in Bishop's Cleeve, and um, I used to come home from school, and sometimes I'd turn up, and I was a young kid, and the whole floor would be people were just laying down, totally messed up, and I'd want to go to the toilet, and there's somebody in there jacking up, and it was all very like normal to me. And that was how life was back in those days. And, you know, and everybody was doing this stuff. And there was like blue blancmange and oil in the freezer. That people, it was all very odd. Were you trying drugs? No, 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 not at all. I became very anti. That was the thing about me. I think when you when it's around you all the time, you become, become quite anti to it all. Yeah. Uh, which I did. And, uh, yeah, so and then I got my third dad, Paul, lovely guy. He turned up. I went to swim in prison in, um, uh, what was it, Darmour. And um, he was a forger. Bloody good forger. Really good. <laughs> he used to, um, well, back in the day, I don't know if you remember them, I think I'm 50, I remember them. You used to have the uh, post office books and they were blue with a bit of, and you used to write in them. There was no computers in those days. So my dad used to make these. <laughs> and he used to live in a van. It's privacy prior to me becoming my father. He did lots of time in prison before he became my dad. And uh, he used to uh, make these books. I'd go to all the, any post office, put what money he wanted, and I'd just give him the money. <laughs> that was it. I'd just give him the money, just like that. Yeah, I'll put your book in. You've written what you wanted out of it. And because he made the books, so there was none of this scanning and stuff. And then he made this other thing I thought was really hilarious. I remember telling me one day, it was so funny. He, um, he uh, made Euro checks when they first came out. But he made this Euro check like the size of that wall. Good grief. And, got it all, and then he reduced it, reduced it, reduced it, reduced it, reduced it. Yeah. And then, then loads of people went to France and cashed them. <laughs> he got like thousands and thousands of pounds. He went over to, they all went to France and they cashed all these Euro checks that he'd made. Like that, reduced down to that. I was a beautiful artist. I love his work. He, he was a fantastic artist. I, I paint. I'm a good painter. But then again, that's not from him. I just think just, I, I can paint. So of all this criminal activity in your younger years, uh, was the police factor? No, never. There was never any uh, police involved because I sort of, I lived in, uh, uh, with my dad, we lived in different places. We'd sort of, we lived up north in Manchester to start with um, because that's sort of, we sort of ran away from this guy called Greg. who was my dad. He was really violent and horrible. So I ended up Bury in Lancashire. 
and I mean Buri. I was going to say about Charlton, which is so lovely because obviously I still see my friends from Charlton, and it's one of my little standard sayings: is, "Can't read and write, but I can drive tractor." And don't don't tell me how dig old. And it was just like one of those words that was so nice. And like, then I want to go back to Charlton now. They go, Matt, your accent's changed. Why don't you speak like us anymore? And I say because I've lived in Spain, Portugal, I've lived all over the place. It's like one of those things. But um, so did you say you, you visited your first dad in prison? Yeah, Paul. I went down before he became my dad. My mum obviously fell in love with him. And I remember going down to um, uh, Dartmoor prison. And back in those days, you had the jacket and the tie and you had to do all these, be really smart all the time. Whereas, how old were you and how did that feel going into a prison? Um, I don't really know, to be honest. It, it didn't really bother me. Uh, but there must have been about, I don't know, 10, 11. Um, and I never forget, I remember seeing this lady in there and Doctor Who was on the telly. And she was a star in Doctor Who. And she was a woman. I've forgotten her name now, but she was so pretty. And I looked around and I went, oh, that's her out of Doctor Who. And I went, oh, my God. And I actually got her autograph on a piece of paper whenever I said hello and got her autograph. And she was out of Doctor Who. I couldn't believe it. But I, you'd have to check this out, guys, back in the day. And like when I was 10, 11 years old, it was like I went to see my dad. This was the person that was on Doctor Who. So what was she doing there? She was seeing her boyfriend who was in prison. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I didn't expect to see this woman from Doctor Who meeting her fellow in prison in Dartmoor. It was back in the good old days, you know what I mean? With John Pertwee and stuff like that. It was all very early days. But um, So, yeah, I went through that, I suppose. Um, just went through my dad's. And my dad was great. My my my, uh, my third dad, he was just very down to earth. And, and like I say, we moved around the, uh, the country. We moved from sort of uh, Manchester down to Brockworth in the, in the Cotswolds. Where they, did, where they did the cheese rolling. With the cheese rolling. Yeah. I was there. And that's where I was. I used to watch all the cheese rolling every year. And, this and <clears throat> I mean, we were there to the Cotswolds again. I went to Winchcombe and Gretton. And I lived there. And um, mum and dad decided they wanted to go and live in Spain and do this and that. So I left home when I was 15. Because I had a girlfriend. You know. How was your school performance? I went everywhere. That was the thing. I went to so many different schools as a kid. I never settled down anywhere. It was quite funny. Because when I was in Manchester, it was really weird. Because I had my ear pierced. This is a, you could climb through this thing. I honestly I had this ear pierced by a friend of mine when I was like 11, and, that, and uh, it was okay in Manchester. But when I came down to the Cotswolds to Winchcombe, went to school, and they went, You can't have that. And my dad saw me getting it in Manchester, and it was a pin and an ice cube and all that, and it was horrible. I had this little stud, and it was all wrong angled. And um, it was really funny because it was just like a. So I go to Winchcombe School, and oh, you can't have that in your ear. So I got busted by the by the headmaster standing outside his office. And I said to Dad, this is not good. He said, no, 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 no. This is it, mate. You ain't taking that earring out. I said, well, I've got to stand outside the office every lunchtime. It's really shit. And he went, well, no, 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 you've had your ear pierced. So I sat outside the office for about a week and a half every lunchtime. And then finally they changed the rules where you could have one stud in your ear. <laughs> and I brought that down from Manchester. And it was like, no, 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 no. And finally, and my headmaster was Simon Partridge. I never forget his name. You know, I sod this, man. Your dad won't let you take it out, will you? He went, no. He went, we're going to have to change the law then. And, and he changed, they, they, changed, they changed the law in Winchcombe School where you could wear a stud in your left ear. <laughs> that was it. It was like, and I brought that from Manchester. So I said, oh, great, thanks. Thanks for that, dad. I've sat outside this headmaster's office for so long because of you, because you said, don't take it out, don't take it out. You're the one standing in front of the goddamn headmaster's office. It's me. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, all right. But finally we did that. That was nice, but... um. Oddly enough, when I was a teenager, I had my ear pierced in Warrington, which is quite near to Manchester. Yeah, there you go. Did you get did you get busted for it or what? No, no. Okay, so how old are you that. then? 
Uh, I, I was born in 68. Are you only a year younger than me? You're 51. Yeah, yeah. You're bloody good. <laughs> what do you think? You look really young as well. well I know. I had, a prep, I had a show especially for you guys this morning. I'm, <laughs> I'm like a bit pre. Can you do a Manchester accent? Uh, not really, no. I used to. I used to speak like bloody, I used to come up from bloody north. Like, but when, I was, when I was a kid, 11, 12, I was a proper Mancunian, sort of I had this accent. Yeah. But to go back with it, like, a friend and family of mine, like Jerry, my, uh, uh, my baby mother, she's great at accents. She's really cool. Yeah. And I know people that can do it. I'm terrible at accents. It's one of those <laughs> things. Like Irish, you know, I've just now got this who I am. That's it. Yeah. I think when I get drunk, I think I do revert back a little bit to wet country. And I say, can't read and write, but I can drive tractor. <laughs> I think that comes out because that was where I was born. So did you get into the Happy Mondays or any of that? No, it wasn't my thing. I was a grebo. Yeah. I was into so I used to sort of embroider on my back in my jacket and don't, don't wash it and you know didn't get into the rave scene. I saw I sort of got into the rave scene. It was on, on a cusp really because I so I lived in Portugal at the time and um, obviously I was a smuggler and I was dealing with um, uh, people out there that um, were like to the underworld of Portugal. So I it was a case of you never queued. It was the back door in you come. Yeah, it was a nice life, you know. In this queue and kiss and all these top clubs in the Algarve, where I was queuing yeah. for a while, there was no sort of waiting around for anything. And you just know, there'd be a big queue, and I go, "Oh, Matt, yeah, yeah. And you what?" And just do all that with my hands, and then I did that deep. Next thing, walk around the side, and you got your drinks done. So before we get to the high level smuggling, the multi-million smuggling, what was your first introduction to criminality? Well, um, I um, obviously, I when I was young, I was like, I got into motocross. Uh, it was fun, you know. Mum and dad left me. They'd gone up to uh, to Spain, and I was living with my girlfriend. And I was really into motorbikes and I anything with an engine. I loved, and got into motocross. And I bought me on a bike. I was sixteen, seventeen, so I raced for a few years. I never got good. I was never a professional, but it was it was fun in my life. And um, me and my girlfriend split up. It was very sad, you know. I mean, it was it was a it was a classic. It was the classic. Come home, and, and uh, I, we had a bit of a problem. And I buggered off for a couple of days, came back, and she was in bed with a black man. I'm honestly, that it was so true. And the guy was really upset that he'd found out that he'd, had, he'd, he'd slept with my girlfriend. And he was coming in the front room and I actually drove the guy home. I, really, I drove him home. I was like, he, I was like, he came in the front room. He went, that's what you do in my bed with my girlfriend. Da, da, da. He was a bit, my big guy, da, 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 all this. And I went, he said, look, she's my girlfriend. He went, oh, you're joking, man. And I said, well, there you go, my girlfriend. And, he went, and he had a go at Jackie. Sorry, Jack, for this. So you're going to see this. I really feel guilty that I'm saying your name. But there you go, Jack. Shit happens. But, um, but yeah, so um, that happened. And obviously, I was broken hearted. She went off. I sort of hung around the UK for a year or two where I was and just decided I don't want to be here anymore. And my mum and dad were down in southern Spain. So um, I thought, I saw it. And I, decided I was going to go on a kibbutz. Got all this kibbutz thing in my head. I was like 21. Let's go on a kibbutz and get it all cool. Flew to Gibraltar. So mum and dad, hang with them for a bit. I found there was this place called Gibraltar. Went down there. Oh my God, there's a big boat called the Barge, the Mallymock, which was built in 1896. This is a big part of my life, the Mallymock, where I went on there. And uh, this is where I met a friend of mine called Lee. And, and I just, anything, by this time, it was a case of uh, me and Lee were just brilliant. It, it was like uh, we used to just hang together, live in Speedos. And we both rented a little tiny plot of this big barge. And we rented a bed for £10 a week, a double bed, me and Lee. And he had a long wavy hair and he was just crazy. We just lived in Speedos, you know, there was no, there was no, and we just lived our life like that. It was mental for like a year. And uh, so I was doing all this and then me and him split up, but I fell in love with the eldest girl on the barge called Joey, who's the mother of my two children to this day. And um, 
they, they were called Joey, Jerry, Jay, and Jenna. It was called the Four Jays. So there was Joey. It was a very hippie barge, you know, all hippie, and people used to come and go on this place. So they sort of went from uh, Joey, Jerry, Jay, and Jenna, all different ages, and the little kids. And so I fell in love with Joey. Lee went his way, I went my way, and mum went mad, went to a nut house. Dad went to prison. So all of a sudden, overnight, I ended up getting a, a fully-fledged family. I was 21 years old. So all of a sudden, I had this great big barge, which is like 80 foot long, 85 foot, 90 foot long, big Dutch barge in Gibraltar. And I fell in love with you, but I got you lot. And I had a job in a, in a company called The Icebox, um, which was like £80 a week. But the Gibraltarians there uh, used to smuggle tobacco from, obviously, Gibraltar into Spain, uh, into, into uh, Linear. And the thing was, it was a case of um, the tobacco used to come from America directly to Gibraltar. They'd offload it, cases of Winston, and it was, it was worth loads of money in Spain. And if you had a tobacco licence... You could buy as much as you wanted. Obviously, if you had, had a shop. So what happened was it was, that was the sweet of the Gibraltarians because it was quite um, quite clicky. You wouldn't you couldn't become a smuggler with Gibraltarians um, because it was a Gibraltarian thing. But they knew this family in the barge for many many years. They've seen them. They used to park their their Phantom twenty one foot speedboat next to over two hundred fifty horses on the back. Black everything was black. And one day, one of the guys, a lovely guy, he came and he said, Matt, he said. Um, I can see you're having some issues right now, you know. So I see that Tuck's gone to prison and uh, your you know, mother's gone to the nut house and you're left with all these kids. You're only 21. Uh, we can do you a small favour. I said, what's that? He said, well, we can teach you how to drive a boat and you can come work for us. And I said, okay. So there's £80 a week, malarkey. So I went out in the Bay of Gibraltar, sat in the speedboat and you've got trim tabs on. It's great, you've got these trim tabs, which obviously you'll learn. Adjust, adjust the angle of the engine. You've got your foot throttle down here. Bar, bar, bar. when you go across and obviously you can adjust the engine as it lifts you, your nose comes down you can get it as fast as you want I can do 80 mile an hour how's that feel? oh mate you touch my heart now you'd know oh my god <laughs> I even get, I even get sort of th- thinking about it this is what I'm talking about when I was 21 22 I was a kid and I got on this thing and they were teaching me how to drive this but took a couple of days teaching me and they said okay so tonight uh, there could be some work on so I had to take my waterproofs um, crash helmet an icon radio next to my bed on the boat well, the kids are inside and Jerry's next to me in bed. And uh, my passport wrapped up in cellophane because in case I got around the corner into Latinara and fell out of the boat and I had to swim in, at least I'd get back into Rosa again because I had a passport, <laughs> get back in again. <laughs> so I'm laying in bed one night. It's the maddest thing I was laying I'm thinking. And I, was, I couldn't see I was quite, so adrenaline was there. Oh. So Matt, 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 go, go, go. So what the fuck? So I've jumped up. <laughs> It's like two in the morning. I've run out to my boat. It's a clear night. Run out to my boat. There's my speedboat there, 21 foot long. You know what I mean? Two, uh, 250 on the back. Oh, come out. Come around the corner and there's five boats there and they're all part of this one man that owns a tobacco license. And the customs, this is the matter, the customs have cut open the seal, open the back of this container and they're passing tobacco down to us. This is the customs. <laughs> are pa- are actually passing tobacco across to us and we, let, we get 20 cases each. The thing is, you can't, you can export tobacco, but you can't bring it back. Mm. The clause is that. <laughs> so the customs have to have to give you this tobacco <laughs> by law. And it's like, it's like really? They're like, oh, doing it. But you can't bring it back. <laughs> so it's all going on out there. You've got the, so well, out we go. And the way Gibraltar is designed, well, the way the Gibraltar is, you've got Gibraltar down here and you've got Latin there. 
And there was a place in Gibraltar called the Media Luna where my secondary man would be and he'd have binoculars and infrared sights. And he could see Latinara, the beach, which was huge. And he could see exactly where the Guardia Seville were. So I'd come out and if they're at the far end, he'd go, 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 go. I'd come flying in. And then the, the, my boy with me next to me, and he pushed the tobacco onto the bow. And then there was little kids here, like nine, 10, 11. They had 25 quid each per, per case. And they'd just run straight across the road, into the house, job done. And they get 25 quid. And they're like, so there's, they're like, no, there's 20 kids there, 20 cases. Grab, go, go. By the time the Guardians really got the bottom, I'd be gone. Wow. So I remember the first time I did it, I did. I remember doing three runs this night. And I got my I was so fucking hyped up. My heart was going, I was sitting down. And I, was thinking, da, 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 da. I was just sitting there thinking, oh, that was just mental. And then woke up the next day, someone gave me 1,500 pounds. Kids! Let's go shopping. <laughs> just like that. And I never looked back. That was my first thing. Basically, it's just tax evasion. Yeah. All it is is tax evasion. I'm not hurting anybody. You know, at one stage, we, just, we were discussing with these Gibraltarian guys that, you know, that, you know, there was about a million pound a week going in to, to, to La Linea. It's all over now. It's not like it used to be. I, I actually hit it at the crescendo. I hit it at a really good time. I've had, I've had the helicopter chasing me. And they actually just get American pilots in. They can't shoot you. They can shoot rubber bullets at you, these big rubber things, but they can't kill you because it's tax evasion. They can't put rubber guns. But I remember the helicopter coming and, and hitting my engine with its legs. Coming that close, bang, 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 and trying to, hit, trying to stop you. And going, and then, because I had a foot throttle, I got caught one day. And the, 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 the boat they used to catch you was called the Turbo. And it wasn't as quick as me. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was a Duano. It was a, it, was a, it was a Spanish gunboat. And I sort of caught next to him with my hand. And I went, Right, <laughs> and just go because I knew he couldn't shoot. Me. I knew he couldn't shoot me. I just put my foot down and go, and I got I got a boat. Once you trim tabbed it up, you can be doing sort of seventy five eighty across the water. So that was my first initial touch into the into the uh, the, the, the the sort of smuggling world of life. But tobacco, but then obviously escalated. Let me just pause you there a second because we skipped over something quite pertinent to your story. You said in one sentence, my mom was put in a mental hospital. It wasn't my mum, it was uh, Joey's mum. Oh, Joey's mum, sorry. My, it was my, uh, my, my, my girlfriend's at the time. And who went to prison? Her dad. Her Tuck. dad. And what did he go to prison for? Cannabis. Cannabis. Yeah, he got caught up the coast with some bits and pieces in the house because obviously I was part of um, that time of life. It was the Costa del Crime. Yeah. It's not the Costa del Crime anymore. That's what it used what to be What does called. the Costa del Crime mean for people who don't understand that? Well, basically the way I looked at it was a case of... Um, I used to work with some London boys, and I'm not going to say their names, obviously. I don't know if they're alive or dead, but they were quite famous, these guys. But um, what it was, I think, the way it went was when the bank robbers from the UK realised they couldn't rob banks anymore or rob armoured cars, or everything turned armoured, everything, when you nick something, it went blue when you opened things. It all changed. And they found, if you go to southern Spain, there's a place over there called Morocco. And if you get a bit of hash for 300 quid, you can sell it in the UK for two grand. So they just got onto this. And that's basically what the cost of our crime became. It was basically hash. That's all they did. They used to come down. All these London boys had nice villas, gated communities. You know, the guy we worked for, it was hilarious. It was just like, I look back on it now, it's like he's had the big range over big brown with a goddamn mobile phone like this. It was like really proper old school. You know what I mean? It was so weird. So, um, but yeah, that was the cost of our crime. It was just like all the Londoners, basically, all the London, I'd say that London ex-bank robbers came down to southern Spain and found that they could make loads of money by using pawns like me because I could sail and drive speedboats. I could go to Morocco and pick up stuff and bring it back and throw it on the beach and this, that, and the other. I did one job one day, which was hilarious. Like I've done some, But the problem with them was they were not, they were bad at paying. 
that was my problem with the Londoners. Like, you know, I might do a job that's worth 40 grand to me, but I get in and they wouldn't pay me. And then what do I do? I'm not a violent man. I'm just a, I'm just a sailor. You know, I could sail. I was driving powerboats, this, that, and the other. And they said, I'm sorry, mate, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you next time. You do another job for them and they wouldn't pay you. And it was really horrible because they still kept that. Whereas in the smuggling fraternity, we're all honest with each other. It was a real close-knit, you know, like policemen hang with policemen, you know, people hang with people. And I hang with smugglers as a team. And you were really nice. Anybody breaks the chain in that team, everything goes apart. So did, you these, st- did you start working for them because of that's that? That's really, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I end up walking away. I, I, I mean, I'm you know, over a hundred grand. And I'd risk my neck and my liberty for these people. Couldn't you, like, take some of their product? Well, then again, then then I'm still be worried that I'll turn up with a gun or something. It was all very scary because I wasn't, you know, in my job, there was never guns involved. I was a PR man from Morocco, you know, that was it. I used to go to Morocco, get some hash and put it over there, get some money, whatever. But um, when I was working for these London boys, it was, it was upsetting at the end of the day. It's like, you know, what can I do? I just like... I can't change the fact. I went to the, one guy and it was mad. One day we had this job sorted out. When I saw him, he went to this house, picked up 50,000 pounds, just like that in cash, went to the marina, bought a boat. That afternoon, we we're out sailing the bloody boat to Morocco. <laughs> just like that. And it was so like, shoo, and we're talking like, you know, when I was in my early 20s, 23, 24. Talking a long time ago. What were the scariest situations in those early years? I don't really, it's scary, I don't know. It's just like the adrenaline. Close calls or? The adrenaline, I suppose, back in those days was so high. I did go overboard once, which was terrifying, but luckily I had a leash on, and that was when I was moving 250 kilos from Lebanon. So you want to run that story down then? An Lebanon story, that, yeah. was, that was quite mental. Um, me and Elias Manaza, Elias, I hope you're still around. I love that guy, he's a good man. That was actually this here. That was actually, that's the book. See that? That's the book that I actually wrote during my trip to uh, Lebanon. So we're going to be looking at this with a view to getting it published for Matt. The Night of the Seagulls. Yeah, basically I wrote... So that's all the Lebanon story? Yeah, yeah, All right, well, well, give us all the details. Well, obviously that Lebanon story was obviously, I can't uh, say I didn't write in my book what I'd actually done. Yeah. (laughs) But... um, yeah, I um, went to Lebanon to pick up 250 kilos. I went to Elias. So who's, who's hired you to do this? Uh, the Italians. The Italians? Yeah. Like yeah. Italian mafia? Or yeah, just... well, I don't know. I suppose you can call them that, but I wouldn't call them that. But maybe they are that. They weren't They weren't named characters. They and how were... did they reach out to you? Uh, I went through a friend of mine, and um, he got the job. And me and Elias, a friend of mine, um, I flew to Malta. I met him in Malta with his boat, and we spent a few days there. And then we saved, sailed from Malta. To Lebanon, um, the maddest sail. When you look at my book, it was crazy because um, we hit some massive seas on the way there. There was What's some really, like? really big seas. It was, but the mad thing was the weather was beautiful. It was so, so nice. The weather was blue skies and everything, but massive seas. So you're talking like, I mean, you're talking about the lovely boat. The nice thing about the boat was it was steel, so it really sat in the water. How big was it? Only 35 foot. It's tiny. So it's but, getting thrown around. Oh, wait, it was up and down, up and down. It was, it was, um, it was, uh, I was, the thing about when you sail, you must win the confidence in your boat. It's like when you get something, it takes you a couple of days to win your confidence. I'm confident with this boat. This boat is going to do what I want it to do. It's going to be good. And we just hit this sea. It was mental. Poor on me and Elias, a little tiny guy, Elias, who's a sort of Lebanese, come something else. And uh, up and down, up and down. I was awake for three days. Never forget that. Awake for three fucking days. I think it was drama. It was my feet. Because I had a pair of Timberlands on and I'd actually 
gaffer taped up my ankles. The rest of me was soaked. Up and down, up and down. And it got to the stage where we were taking 20-minute naps and swapping positions. This was going there. And um, I'd actually lay inside the boat and there was so much water inside. I'd actually lay in a puddle of water and it was like healed over. And I was asleep. So I'm like, you go in there, sleep. Holy shit. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't, there was no time to sort of think about it. And I was in deep sleep for 20 minutes. Then we'd swap all the time. So I could be on the helm. He'd be on the helm. I'd be on the helm. And I one time I was, so one minute I looked up and all I could see was Elias and this fucking great wave. And it was translucent. The blue was gorgeous. And also I went, Elias! And this wave came over here and hit him and knocked him down onto me oh, inside the boat. Oh, oh. And it was like the helm had gone. It was all over the place. And <laughs> oh my life. So we had three days of this. And then one of the nights I took the foresail down because it was that bad. So I'd made my own leash. I'd made this little thing myself so I could clip on, clip on, clip off, clip on. And I was sort of sneaking up up the uh, really low to obviously stay low, kneel down if you can, and just hold on to the, to, to, to the stanchions. I got to the bow. And um, I just reeled in, really got it already, the, 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 the foresail. And basically, what, what happened was the boat fell off the face of a wave. So as it dropped, I went straight up the side of the boat. I was gone. Elliot said, One minute I was looking at the bow, and it's nighttime, and you were there, and next minute you were gone. And then you were back again. So what happened was, as the as I went over the side, I smashed my face on the on the on the, on the keel because there was no water there because we were falling off a wave. Jesus. Smashed my face on the wave, and as it sunk into the wave, it flicked me back in the boat. What? It was like, but because the adrenaline was so there, and you were doing what you did, I just carried on doing what I was doing, yeah. pulling the sail down, and just yeah. carried on went went back and just like that, and it was like it was like <laughs> bing bong bang out of the boat. And if I didn't have a leash on, you wouldn't be having this interview. Wow, I'd have been dead. I'd have been gone. I've been, I've been in, I was off the south coast of Sicily. No, no, so that's, I was off Crete. But I'll be gone. Just like that. And I went out, in, smack my face, big bruise on the side of my face, back in the boat, and I just went, fuck. What minute you were there? Then you were gone. Went, oh, shit. Oh, my God, it's back again. All <laughs> <laughs> because of my leash sort of twanged me back in. So I was like, bang, twang. As so what's the felt. leash made out of? bit of rope I made I made my own leash you know I mean you can buy really expensive modern ones now it's like a, a thing you clip on and as you're going along a boat you've got stanchions with uh, and, uh, and you know you've got the wire that goes around it and you clip on clip off clip on clip off as you're walking oh. down the boat that's what your stanchions for yeah so that's what they're there for so as I was going really low, I always keep low to the ground or kneeling down because the weather was really bad clipped on clipped off if I hadn't clipped on at the last minute oh you would be here no way there's no way he could have found me on his own. Is it making you reconsider your occupation, this flipping in and out, or are you just like, that's part of the, what you're doing? Oh, I'd never be a smuggler again. And I mean, I'm retired now. No, I mean, at that point in time. No, getting not, flipped out the boat, did that not, make you think, maybe I shouldn't, this is a bit not, risky? I don't know, not really, I suppose, because I was a young kid. There was no tomorrow. I was in my early 20s, you know. I was still a little boy in some respects. And uh, now I think, oh, I'm not doing that because I'm old and I, you know, I, I do actually look at uh, a bit of pre-thought into what could have, <laughs> you know what I mean? I do look ahead of what could have happened. Yeah. So did, did the storm die down then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three days were in this. Three days? Yeah, three freaking days. It was just like, honestly, the sleeping. It's like and a it, Hemingway story, it, it isn't it? So, it, was so, it was so nice because when it finished, me and the thing was, I had this water on, but all the water got inside a waste of time. And the amount of rushing around my crutch. Was it salty? Salty, salt rush here, there. And I remember just stripping off. We never had a lot of water on board. And it was so lovely. I remember getting this bottle of water. And I was like, oh, God. And I remember doing my crotch. Washing your balls off. Washing my balls off. I totally knew, me and Ellis. Because <laughs> the weather was gorgeous. The sea had come down. Me and Ellis were totally nude on the boat. And I remember standing at, I remember standing at the back of the boat, my legs apart, all of a sudden, I was like, 
and the wind was blowing. <laughs> it was so nice and standing there, and I just washed all my bits off. Well, it was so nice. Just Joe, the sound engineer, was saying that we haven't had anyone naked in the studio yet. So if you want to demonstrate. Oh, no, I'm not going to get my tackle out. You know what I mean? I can show you the scar on my leg from my cancer, but then again, that'll be about it. But, um... So that must have been some relief then, washing your balls after three days. Oh, it was so nice. Just some fresh water. Because oh. obviously I've been sleeping inside the boat, taking turns, just sleeping in salt water. I mean, as it was healed over, and it was obviously, got, I've got the bilge pump on, but obviously there was so much water coming in all the time. It was just a rotation system. Bilge was pissing out the water, but the water was still coming in because of the waves were so big. And is your relief offset by your brain being a bit scrambled by this disjointed oh, sleep? It was just, I don't know, it was, it was just lush when it finished. And we stopped and it was like, we, we were over the Ionian abyss, which is thousands and thousands of metres deep. And it was real raw blue. And I said to Theo, oh. I, said, I said to Elias, I'm going to go for a swim. I don't want to sit in the water for a bit. You see, all so, the, there's lots of fish and stuff. Well, no, you're in the middle of the med. You can't see anything. Okay. It's just like, but it was really weird because we put a rope over the back. So if you go for a quick swim, we took the sails on, so we just, the boat would move very, very slowly. So I remember getting up on deck, jumping off and nothing going on. And it is the strangest sensation when you think where you are. And it's called the Ionian Abyss. I think it's 11,000 foot deep. Wow. It's the deepest part of the med. So I remember looking at the chart and I'm thinking, so I'm sitting there like looking at myself. I'm thinking, fuck, if there was no water here, I'd fall 11,000 feet. And it was one of those strange things in my head. I was swimming back to the boat really fast. Ellis, I'm going to come back. I'm coming back. I'm going back to the boat. He said, what, what's up with you? I said, oh, I was totally freaked out then. If there was no water, I'd have fallen 11,000 feet. And it's and it weird when you have these things in your mind. Do you see like dolphins or whales or anything? Yeah, I see dolphins and whales. And I'd say, I'd say about uh, half a day before we got there, I finally caught a little bonita, a little tuna, which was lovely. So we've been eating, living off of um, chicken noodle soup and groana, which we were smashing up with a fucking hammer because we couldn't make a lot of food because the way the boat was doing its thing, you know? So I was eating groana for energy and chicken noodle soup because the, the gimbal of the, of the boat, we just put it on, make some chicken noodle soup, easy to drink. So we caught this tuna, it's like, oh, little, well, a little baby one called a bonito. And I love, I love sushi, so I just chopped it. I was eating it raw. I just fucking get in the boat, fucking eat it. I just love it. And I was like a young kid, just eating raw tuna. I'm sure I wasn't cutting it like a sushi chef, but I was just that. That looks fine. I mean, yeah, a bit of that, yeah, a bit of that. You know what I mean? And then I fried up some of it because we have no fridge on board, so we just had to sort of eat it the best we could. You know, just like eat fresh. You know, that. So we pulled into a place called Junier in uh, Lebanon. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, Elias, my man, was Lebanese. And Junior was man mental because it was um, a really expensive arena in Lebanon. I don't understand all this. And the, the, they all spoke French and then your, your kids had to speak French. But it was something like 20 grand a year to park your boat there. <sighs> and it was ridiculous. But you were allowed to spend like sort of a few weeks there at a cheap price. But it was all gym palaces and some of the power boats there. And I thought, this is Lebanon. I'm 22, 23. So when you pull up at another country like that, is there a procedure you got to go through, like a customs or well, something? Well, no, you go in there and you show them your passport, let them know you're there, and that's it. They just leave you alone. They don't bother you. Right. And then, so we came in with this boat, and our boat was steel. And um, fucking, it was so hot. It was 11. And, but I remember getting off the boat, and I had land sickness, which is the strangest thing. Yeah. Because I've been so, I've been on a boat for over two weeks. When I put my feet on the land, that's where the sailor's roll comes from. That's exactly where the sailor's roll When you've been at sea for a long time, you get off the boat, and the, the ground's doing that. It feels like you're drunk. He said, so I was sort of getting off the boat and I was sort of doing this. And I've been on a boat for over two weeks and I couldn't. So this is, I said, yeah, it's all about I'm sliding all over the place. I was all over the gaff. The, the whole ground was moving because your body is so used to moving yeah. for two weeks that it's still moving in your brain. Yeah. So it took me a good day to come down from that. 
But the thing about this place was it was all subsidised. So everything was really cheap. Like a, a bottle of beer was dead cheap. Food was beautiful. It's French. That's why you pay the 20 grand a year to go in junior. That's <laughs> why so I said to Elias, it's too fucking up beyond the boat, mate. I can't do all this. It was like roasting hot. So we booked into a hotel. <laughs> just to get off the boat hotel. Booked into a hotel, which was really nice. And just sort of spent a couple of weeks there while everybody was organising stuff, which was really nice. And, um, you know, it's the back of our valley, whatever what it comes down from. But um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it was quite fun, really, because it was because the Americans sort of occupied it for many years. Like um, the cinemas there are Americanized. So you'd get a you get a, a movie that was so it wouldn't come into Europe. It would go to Lebanon, then America, then Europe. So the, not only that, the cinemas are beautiful. They're all air conditioned and shit. So every day, I mean, I went to the cinema nearly every day. Let's go to cinema. Yeah, good. <laughs> Just sit in this really lovely air conditioned cinema and watch a movie. What kind of movies are they showing? I don't really know. Back in that was a long time ago. Now I can't even remember what they were. But it was just so nice to be in somewhere that was cool. I didn't think I even give a shit about what film it was. It was just like. Oh, this is nice. It's so cool. Like, it's sort of like sort of 45 degrees outside. And the food there was lovely. I must admit, because it was Christians and Muslims, and I actually went into Beirut itself and saw sort of the devastation of what it was like, you know, just the way that sort of some of these buildings in the centre were crumbling through bullet holes. Not explosions. The amount of bullets. And I met some of Elias, Elias's family, and one was a goldsmith. He made me a really nice necklace while I was there, a little cross and that. But... Uh, you know, they carried on life as normal during the war. And they'd go out clubbing, but they had to go certain routes because of snipers. <laughs> I said, so you go to a, had to go a certain route? Yeah, there were snipers on this road. You've got to watch out for them. And they'll shoot you. But to me, that was such a shock. And that was a normality to these guys. You've got to go this way and this way. So yeah, I had a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks there, which was... Uh, was war still going on or had war no, no, stopped? No, 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 war had stopped, but, uh, but that was what he'd grown up with. Yeah. And he was an older guy and he was just saying, yeah, we go this way. And, you know, the one guy was a solicitor and he had machine guns, AK-47s in his office. And I went to one house and was sitting in the front and there was bullet holes in the wall where somebody had been shooting from outside the house. It was like... But it, to them, it was all just normal. War and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, that is so crazy. So yeah, I had a bit of time there and the food, I remember the food was lush. I remember eating there. And uh, yeah, we finally sort of picked up this uh, 250 kilos of, uh, it was a Lebanese hash in Hessian bags. It's all very pretty compared to what I was used to, which was like soap bars. 250 kilos of hash back then, what was that worth roughly? Uh, well, uh, 2,000 pound a kilo. So you're talking a lot of money. Yeah. And I mean, but we were taking it back to, to Sicily and I to, to, to Sardinia. So the sale was funny. We sort of came out, and it was funny because um, Morelli is saying that um, we'd been um, he'd paid for somebody to um, he'd paid for somebody to um, see us out, okay? And I thought, oh. so as we've come out, I see a military boat behind us. I thought, oh for fuck's sake, I can't deal with this. I don't want to go to prison here. And it was um, they would just make sure we got out, okay? The military, they'd been paid off. And the boat came out with a 250 on it. Put it in the fuel tank. Job done. And then off we went to... Um, to um, The sail back was lovely and smooth compared to the sail there. So there was fucking nightmare. The sail back was fine. On the way back, we went to uh, uh, Sicily. Actually came into Sicily, which is quite mental because uh, that's where Elias's missus lived. 
and uh, you know to actually pull in it didn't even look at our boat just sort of came in because we had a starter motor problem came into Sicily uh, coming back and uh, I think it was Catania we stayed in and uh, I saw his missus very nice and uh, I remember sleeping outside because it was so hot and it was so close it was so weird because we were only a few miles from uh, from Mount Etna I remember sleeping outside on a mattress and I could feel the floor rumbling that weird it was like because Etna's alive even though I wasn't spewing out but I was staying there for a couple of nights and I outside I thought I'd stay outside because it's really hot in the house and I could feel the rumble and I thought what's that now? <laughs> oh they got a fuck anywhere with it <laughs> and it was the oddest thing I actually felt the ground moving a little bit underneath me little rumbles and that this and is was, a reoccurring theme with you the ground moving oh I know it's just, yeah but that was definitely that was definitely the, that was definitely Man Etna <laughs> definitely doing something underneath me so I spent a couple of days there with Elias I don't know how long we got, but I could tell you something else, which was the mentalist thing, because when we pulled in, it was for a starter motor. <coughs> we had to get it repaired, so we sent it off, and we went into, I think it was Palermo, and there was me and Elias there walking around the town. We went to the train station, and honestly, I couldn't believe this. Out of the blue, police pulled up alongside us, grabbed Elias, my friend, who was my captain. We've just done so much time together. We went A, B, C, D, all the way to Lebanon, Picking this up, coming all the way back to Sicily, you know, we're just getting on with our day. Da, 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 da. They just roll up and I was sort of, went, oh, fuck. They just grabbed him and slung him in the car. This is the politest. This is the goddamn police. So there's me terrified. I'm sitting there with no money, nothing, at the train station. And my captain has just been taken by the police. What? What's going through my head? I've got nothing. I had a little personal organiser on me, which I tried to sell so I get some money and didn't. So I just sat there at this train station all day so obviously what's going through my mind is obviously they found the gear on the boat or this is going on that's going on oh my god so I sat there and Elias walked past me that evening put some money in my hand said Matt I'll see you tomorrow here at a certain time and that was it did the police want their payoff? no 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 basically what it was was I ended up booking into this little sort of B&B and it was a knocking shop I'm sure because people were screwing all night I was just paying this thing I went so you get me head down and all I could hear was people shagging all night. I thought, oh, God. I really ground moving. Yeah, no, it is that. So I walked back out, went to the train station. Elliot's met me. We got on a taxi back to the port. Mistaken identity. There'd been a bank, oh. rob- There'd been a bank robbery that day. And he looked like one of the bank oh. robbers. What's the chances of that? Holy shit. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what was going through my head was they found the gear on the boat. We've been busted. They've got hold of a photograph of him and something. And it was a mistaken identity. <laughs> of all the people to pull was him. <laughs> and there's me sitting there thinking. So we finally got back to the boat and then I fucked it up again. I didn't fuck it up. I never fuck things up normally, but it was really mad because the guy had re- repaired the starter motor and he'd leant across the, and I put my hand out like that and I, f- I didn't forgot how heavy it was and just dropped it straight in the sea. Just like that. I went, oh my God. So I had to dive down and get it and the marina was so dirty. And I remember, you know, I didn't smoke back when I didn't really smoke back and I had nice young lungs and I was a different person to now. But I um, remember jumping in with a mask, couldn't see anything. So all I had to do was go down and I just put my hand in all this sludge and just feel around and finally found it. And it weighs a bit. It took me a while. I kept on jumping in, jumping in, finally got it. And the swim up was the hardest swim up oh. in my life because this thing was heavy. I didn't have flippers or nothing. And I was just, and I finally got it out. And that was it. Gave it to, to somebody above me and we had to redo the bloody starter motor, blah, blah, blah. get it all done again. But I couldn't believe that I went. 
<laughs> so I thought it was going to be a lot lighter and I just dropped it. So he left there, went all the way to Puerto Corralo where he delivered it to the Italians and <clears throat> pulled straight in. They came that night, took all the 250 off board, took it away, got arrested the next day because the police in the, the Puerto thought we were smuggling. They were a bit too late. <laughs> where were you when you got arrested? Puerto Corralo in, in Sicily on the east coast, southeast in the coast. Boat. Yep. And they, they came, and they came. They came and arrested us on suspicion of smuggling. But the guys, the Italians, had come the day before and took all the gear off the boat. Wow. Did they take you off the boat? For yeah, they took us to the police station. I think I've got the, somewhere there's a bloody big thing about it and they went negativo. <coughs> it was all negativo. They couldn't find anything. It was like, thank fuck, you came the next day. Did they try and interrogate you or anything? Yeah, yeah, I asked this question, what are you doing, where you been? Da, 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 da. So then from there, then that was it. Then it was just like, job done. Went back to Spain, went back home. and uh, But the, 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 the saddest thing about all this was the gear wasn't good enough for the Italians. No. The quality wasn't there. So this is the thing about when you're in this world. So the only time I ever made any really good money is when I worked for myself. Did they not pay you for that one? No. Oh, man. So let me ask you a few questions then. Where does the hash come from? Where is it grown? In where? So in Morocco. So you picked you picked no, up this, in no, this, this was the back of Ali. This was in this was in Lebanon. That's down to you them. You picked it up in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. does it come from? In the mountains. Which country? In Lebanon. Oh, it's grown uh, in Lebanon. It's grown in Lebanon up in the I mountains. Okay. There's, a, there's a certain altitude for hash to grow it. Yeah. And that's the altitude it likes to be at. It's quite high. Yeah. And it's got to be like south facing. This never the sun all day long. Blah blah blah. blah. So that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Very pretty when I saw it. it Came in Hessian bags, and it was nice because it was all different shapes. Yeah. It was lovely. It was really pretty, you know. And it was like these stamps of a. One of my favourite trees, which is the cedar tree. There was a lovely cedar tree stamp on it, which is a Lebanese sort of a picture. Are you able to analyse the quality when you're getting it, nah, l- no. uploading it? No. Is there a chance that the Italians just said it wasn't good enough quality to Oh, no, they were good. Opinion? I remember going myself. I'm actually quite good at quality check myself, but I thought it was okay. And I was, yeah. it wasn't something that, that, that I was thinking about at the time. Yeah. To go I from know. all that to get flipped out the boat and I everything. Know. And then it was just like, oh, that's shit. heartbreaking. Yeah, but then I said again, I was young, you know, I was a young, sort of fun, full of cum. and just like, you know, you just get on with your life, don't you? It's just like, yeah, let's do something else now, you know? It's just. What was the next thing you did? Um, well, I did that with the, into the, the Lebanon thing. I sort of think, I've got my bit, I got my book here about, you know, I was trying to write notes down the other day of how many things I've been doing of, of where it's gone. But it's like, sort of, to correlate it, it's a bit difficult, you know, sort of. Um, but um, have you got another big smuggling story like that? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I went to uh, South America for two tons of cocaine. Which two I, tons of cocaine. Yeah. So is this coming from the cartel, the Colombians? Yeah, yeah. But I didn't want to do it. It was it was really sad because um, it was a case of a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. He wanted to get involved with it, this and the other, and I really wanted nothing to do with it because I don't like the murder, death, kill involved with cocaine. It's it's not nice. That's why that's why I always stayed with um, cannabis. You know, I've done things in my life, but it's never hurt anybody individually. I've always liked being me and I've always liked, and I think the karma that I carry is good. So did I, you decline the cocaine mission? Or did no, you he chased me down. I was going all over the place and my mate finally caught up with me. So how did he convince you to do it? A million pound. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a million quid, Matt. I went... Did you ask for any up front? No, no, at the end of the day, it was ridiculous. Me and me and my man, we flew over to Panama. I went from sort of, it was crazy. I went from sort of Faro to Lisbon, Lisbon to bloody to Miami, Miami to in Panama. And <clears throat> we were there because the thing was, I had a, a really good method, um, which I came up with. Well, I wish I pinched off somebody else. It was a really good idea because remember these guys coming to Gibraltar and 
the going out of Gibraltar, and what they were doing with the Zodiac, they were slicing it, taking the label off, and filling it with tobacco, and twisting it back up and blowing it up. And then you had a, you had a, you had a, a bloody Zodiac full of tobacco, but inside the tubes. What a clever idea! <clears throat> so I did it with the London boys, and going to Morocco and filling up 250 kilos inside the tubes for this one firm. And uh, we got all the way across. And remember, I came in, I came in on Sunday afternoon. It was really weird. We came in, me and Paul. I remember jumping out of the boat. It was suddenly really hot on the Costa del Crime on the Costa. I remember swimming in. Uh, and I've been, obviously, I've been at sea and been in Morocco for so long. Swimming in, going to the phone box, going to the bar, ringing up my man, who was one of the London guys. I said, it's here. And he went, cool. And we were looking out the window across here and it's full of all the fucking kids were using my boat as a diving ramp. There was like my little dinghy was out there with 250 kilos in it. All these kids were jumping in it because they're obviously oh. tourists. And they're all using it to dive, do back somersaults off and this and that. I'm thinking. <laughs> but finally they went, yeah, we'll come and get it. So I remember mm. jumping back in the boat, off. I remember driving on thinking, oh, Nude people, and it was like I was driving, and there was I'd obviously come into a nudist beach. We're <laughs> driving along in this boat with two hundred kilos inside the tubes, and going past these these women. They're like, oh my god! And I was with a good friend of mine, Paul. Go rest his side. He's passed away now, but Paul was with me. Went, I went past this lot. Finally, put on a trailer, and off they went. <clears throat> Ripped me off again, but anyway. But then anyway, what, the reason was I was going to say was obviously I found a way of putting it in the tubes, and that's what these South Americans wanted me for. So my mate. Steve. So what year is this now? Four. I must have been about 26, 25. I don't know. So I'm talking, I'm 52 now. So you have to work that out. So it's the, 90, it's the 90s then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So 90s. is this, are you dealing with like the, the Cali cartel, is it? That's in, well, I wouldn't know who they are because I didn't actually sort of well, check up who they were. But I was told this was what I was going to get. This is what I needed to do. So uh, uh, we went out there and they really wanted me because uh, Steve went to Miami and bought these two. Um, big gomas, big dinghies. We did a recce first, and we were going to bring it into the Isle of Wight. Actually, I did all this. We did all the mathematics first. When you say recce, you look where it's going to go. You check things out prior to your job. You don't just turn up at some beach. You work at the beach. You work out what the police are doing. It's, you know the mathematical equation into doing certain things are a lot bigger than they think they are. You know, I'm going to become a smuggler. They ain't going to become a smuggler. You got to, you know, is the Isle of Man a good spot? That was no, no, not the Isle of Man, Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight, sorry, good. Spot. No, 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 yeah, it was because we worked it all out. It was really good. There was no issues there, and it was a good little beach we could bring it into. So obviously, I went out to Steve. Me and Steve went out there, and we were just sitting in hotels waiting for this job. To, and I bought all the equipment that I needed, and it was the craziest thing because I didn't want to do it. I just felt really guilty about what it. equipment did you have to buy? I just glues and and and, and stuff for stitching up the boats. I mean, just bits and pieces that I need for, for what I had to do. And the mad thing was, um, I'm actually going to say this now on here, and I hope it doesn't kick me in the arse, but um, these Panamanian guys sort of turn up in Armani suits to the hotels with really nice Rolexes on and stuff. They just kept on giving us money. Wait, wait. I'm talking hundreds of dollars because obviously they've, they've got... The, I think the, the, the currency there was the Balboa, but the um, the currency they like in, in, in Panama is dollars because the Americans were there with the, with the, the Panama kind of low dollars. So they come to just give me money all the time. <coughs> but they came around one day and said, come on, you need to bring a new sweatshirt with you. I said, a sweatshirt? Yeah, bring a sweatshirt. Went into the town, took it to his back street, took a photo of me, two different sweatshirts. That afternoon, I had a passport, I had a driving license, I had an ID card. I was Panamanian. <laughs> I was half Panamanian because I could speak Spanish. I was half Panamanian and half English. And my name, I never forget my name. To this day, it's like, it's like your national insurance number. My name was Miguel Antonio's Guerdes Gordon. 
because I went, I can't fucking believe it. I went, Steve, Steve got his, I got mine. I said, this bastard went, that's mental. Because I was on the roster on the boat. So I'm saying, so I was part of the ship that was coming through, it was a super tanker. So I was part of that. So I had to have all this, this, this equipment to get on the boat to become part of the crew. And obviously this boat was going to come all the way up through the Atlantic, off of the Isle of Wight. Both boats would be dropped in the water. Me and Steve come flying in with a ton in each and jobs are good. So they're using a super tanker to do this. Yeah. It was proper. I was like, why wasn't he asking any questions? You know, as long as I got, you know. <laughs> so what, before, what, what was the genuine cargo on the super tanker? What was I'm that not sure. Point? To be honest, it was just a big super tanker. And the, the, I remember, you know, this is where the boats were. This is what we were going to do. Um, but... Um, it was mental because we were there for quite a few weeks and um, I was getting really bored. I was like, oh. And uh, you know, some of the places I could see that the hotels are really nice there. And, we, and I had this little book of, let's go try this hotel today. Let's try that hotel today. <laughs> it's just like just trying different hotels all the time. I was just bored. And it was really, really, really crazy. Every afternoon at like um, uh, um, uh, two o'clock, it rained. And the thing about Panama is you're in your jungle. You expect Tarzan to come flying through any minute. <laughs> it's really hot and humid. And like it's a city, but all the trees are these things hanging down like Tarzan trees. You know, if you could sort of walked out, you'd be in the jungle. <laughs> you know, you could do that at the end of the day and it'd be black. Just because wow. the, all the cars there are American, it's American this, American that. And it was so mental. It's just like, I couldn't believe I had this passport. This. But it's really funny because when you walk around Panama City, it's all Western Union and DEA, DEA this, DEA that. It's all telling you that the DEA could be here, there could be this. So I'm being actually funny. I don't know, it wasn't my money. I had a fucking casino downstairs in this hotel one day. I'm a young kid, you know. I was playing blackjack. It's not my money, I don't give a shit. There's this guy sitting next to me, pissed as a fart he was. It was him and Steve. And <laughs> they come out, put your drinks there, and you're drinking and you're playing. And I was just sitting like that. This guy, and the thing is, when you do this sort of thing, you got to have a story. Obviously, you've got to have an answer to a question. And obviously, me and Steve were waiting for a yacht, for a yacht, for a yacht deliverers <coughs> to, to come into the Panama Canal. But El Nino was there at the moment. And when the boat had turned up, we were going to go up to the Martinique, to the West Indies, and deliver the yacht. So a hurricane was there? No, El Nino. Wasn't that even a, it was a bad weather time many, many, many years ago. Okay. People actually type in El Nino, they'll see <coughs> that the weather was really bad at that moment in time. And uh, so that was our that was our sort of get out of sort of jail-free car but let me talk to you you must have an answer because we were a couple of European guys in Panama City what the fuck are you doing here and you say well I'm waiting for a yacht uh, from you know from the uh, Western Indies and I'm going to be taking it up to, to Martinique but um, this guy actually was really funny I went no 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 so I'm the went oh you I'm DA I said fuck and so I said drink and I had a few drinks yeah, I'm here. You gotta keep an eye out for all these drug dealers that are coming around. It was, it was goddamn fucking DEA. He was sitting next to me in a casino, and then Steve sitting next to him. I went, oh, for fuck's sake. Well, I don't need this right now. It was DEA. Piss as a fart. Because he'd been sitting there for days, and that's his job. He's just to hang around Panama and bump into people just like me. And, you know, and find out what you're doing and bust you or, or get on your case. And I give him some of my chips. He had no money. Oh, yeah, man, give him some chips. So I give him some of my chips. I was making casino. I went to Steve, I'm going, mate. And Steve ended up sitting down there most of the night with the guy. I had a real good laugh with the guy. It was really funny. But things like that, it was just mental, you know. But um, it was so weird because I'd already organised the UK and I organised the people that were going to drive the trailers away with Steve and where it was going in London, uh, the two boats. And what I decided to do was even my granddad was involved, love him dearly, bless your granddad. I buried a, a, a Huel in his back garden. So, you know, the top of roof racks. 
Yeah, bear that in his car. <coughs> so what I was going to do, I was to take 50 kilos. I did not believe anybody, anybody, even at a young age, I've been so involved in this world of smuggling. Who the fuck is going to fly into England and give me a million pound? <laughs> Seriously. Mm. Who is going to do that? I'm part of the South America, doing this work for the South Americans. I'm just a pawn in their game. I had enough of the London boys ripping me off 24-7. And that's what I said to myself. I said to Steve, as soon as this gets back to the UK, I'll take 50 keys out. As soon as it gets to I'm going to slice the thing open, take 50 keys out, and I'll take it. I'm going to bury it in my granddad's fucking garden. I'll sell a kilo just like that. And I'll go, I'll just take it easy. I won't rush it. And then they're not going to come looking for me. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, I wasn't, who the hell is going to turn up and give you a million pounds in a suitcase? Not going to happen. Exactly. And that was my wages. So I thought I'd take 50 keys, call it a day. You've got one up. You've got two tons there, guys. You're not going to miss 50 keys. And you're not going to come looking for me. And I bet they go, oh, thank God he took that. And it saved us killing him. That's what I felt. It was so easy for them just to turn up and shoot me and not pay me. And life is so cheap in that world that uh, I thought, oh, fuck it. So did you take the keys? No, we didn't. Th- 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 this is the beauty of it. Watch this. This is, this, oh, this, no. this is, where, this is amazing. <laughs> there, and I'm, this is, I'm very happy about this. I was sitting on the bed in this hotel. Still in Panama. Yeah, and Steve was in the shower. I saw the super tanker being busted on the telly. Oh. And I saw the speedboats that Steve had bought on the bow and the cameras are panning around and all these guys are in the gunnels, tie wrapped up. Oh. And they opened the cocaine that is in America. And the fit, there was a finger on it. Like that. that was the stamp on these kilos of coke. There's a finger. Oh, and Steve went, fuck! And that was it, out of there. Quick as you could. Next flight out of Panama, me and Steve on it. And I was happy. I was so happy I wasn't getting involved. I didn't want to do it. And it was karma looking down and the, and the powers that be were looking down on me going, Matt, it's good. Imagine ending up in a Panamanian prison. <gasps> oh, Matt, with the Moroccan jails, all that. You know, a friend of mine, a friend of mine died in a Moroccan jail. It was terrible, you know. He, was, he died in a Moroccan jail? Yeah, yeah, I don't know how he died, but he was there. He was a smuggling friend of mine, but he was like... A straight-laced lad, you know, I'm an old guy, but he ended up dying out there. But um, so <clears throat> but uh, I was just like, I was so happy when I saw that. I just imagine if I'd have got on that boat. And... Yeah. Two tons. You'd never see me again. I'd have died out there, I'm sure. So you're just all about the pure adventure at this stage in your life. The well, money yeah. is secondary, it seems. It was. It was, um, it, was um, it was. cool. And I don't knock my life at all, what I did. And I still say to this day, I've loved my life. I've had a brilliant life. You know, I've been here, there, everywhere, and I've done some fantastic things. Uh, been scared and happy and, you know, but wicked. You know, the adrenaline of doing what I do, what I did, is, um, you know. It what was, was the scariest situation then? Well, that was pretty scary doing that, I suppose, out there. I say falling overboard was pretty freaky when I look back on it. But um, I just want to think what I've done, you know, that was actually scary. I can't really sort of say that what was actually really scary or what were you hired to do next what was your next big mission well I wasn't hired I did loads of things you know I just I've done like uh, did, did, did jobs to Portugal myself and um, uh, so I don't to, it, it's just like one second let me just grab this sorry guys I'm going to grab this a second yeah you're fine it's just that uh I'll, I'll just keep I'll fine. just keep talking while you do that I'll just finding out so, about just a few notes like so. I said at the very beginning of the video Matt Simpkins, <coughs> living with cancer, is Matt's YouTube channel. It's in the description box below the video. Um, Matt is in a serious stage of cancer, hence, hence the cough. 
Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. We all appreciate your love and support for Matt. If you click over to his channel, you can see he's, he's got like a video diary that he's doing about his battle with cancer. And I was watching it this morning and it's it's just, you know, absolutely heartrending. So, um, but we're at the end of this interview, we're going to talk more about um, where he is with his cancer. Did you did you find what you were looking for? There's loads in here. There's loads. Like, they're gone for weeks, man. <laughs> Seriously, there's so much there. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you want to elaborate on I can make them very short and sweet, but then again, I think no, they should, no, they, they we, should be... We, we uh, want elaboration. Be, <laughs> we want elaboration. They should be fun, you know? It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't have to make anything short and sweet on this so, podcast. So my, my eldest, uh, Amber Jade, who I love, you know, obviously I love both my kids. I've got TMA. He was born in the UK, but Amber Jade was born in Gibraltar. Yeah. And that was during my smuggling life. And obviously she was only a year old when it went bad for Ireland and I got caught in Ireland. But um, prior yeah. to that... I lived in a linear and did my bits and pieces. And it was so funny one time. This is a nice little story about me and uh, a guy called Hibby Mark. Again, rest his soul. He was another sort of dealer in, well, he used to deal in like big amounts of cannabis resin. And I was skint. Living in my flats. There's my little flat. Well, no, it's a ground, it's a house actually in a linear. And um, I was like, oh, shit, I need to get some money. And Jerry was there and that, and, uh, which is um, my, my girlfriend and mother of my kids. And I was walking down towards Gibraltar and Hippie Mark came past me. I knew what he was and who he was. We were good friends. And as I looked back, he looked back at me and uh, I went, oh, Mark, you went, yes. I said, I haven't got any gear, have you? I'm really skinned at the moment. He said, I've got fucking loads. And do you want someone to lay some on you? I said, that's exactly what I fucking want because I've got no fucking money. So he laid some on me. It was brilliant. I thought, I've got 20 kids. But he laid this gear on me. So, and it was really nice because back in the old days, uh, along the Costa del Crime and here, there and everywhere was um, roadblocks by the Guardia Seville. So you could come around a corner, be a roadblock, pull you over and it was game over. So what one used to do is use walkie-talkies, but they were a bit of a giveaway if they searched your car. But the mobile phones had just come out. So it's brilliant. So what I did was I got my brother, rushed up enough money to get a couple of hire cars, stuck the gear in my brother's car. I went in front of him, I'd zero off my tachograph. And as soon as I got to sort of five or six miles away, I'd ring him on a mobile phone, great, and say, leave now. And off we go up to Portugal. So I used to double my money. So he gave me all this gear, slung in the boot of my, my brother's car, off I go, off to Portugal, because I got my mate Steve there. He would take it off me. He was going to get two two back in the UK. I'd flog it to him for a grand. It made 1,200 quid on it. I could pay Mark back. So I went shooting up there, blah, 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 A, B, C, D, me and my brother, this, that, and the other. Got up there with... No issues, no problems. Gave it to Steve. Went back in the house, sort of, uh, I don't know, 40 hours later to Joey. £10,000 on the table. We had nothing two days before. Wow. And just like that. From him there, and I paid Mark what I owed him, bought it off him. Just like that. It was just the way life was. It was just like, you know, I'm going to live now for a little while. And it was uh, it was pretty, pretty mental, really. And just things like that, you know. We had this... Uh, I remember me, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but me and my, uh, uh, we had a, we bought a Mercedes uh, for a job because it never actually got used, but we had a, a it was an SEC, never forget, it was lovely, 500 V8 Merc Coupe. And we brought up this German guy, he was in, uh, where was he? He was in, uh, uh, in Duquesa. And uh, I remember his dad used to sell car mats, which I thought was quite crazy because he used to make millions, his dad, selling car mats. And his son was just like living off his dad's money. And we bought this thing and it was from Baden-Baden and the registration level was bad. And it was lowered, proper single coupe, V8, five litre, 
it's all dark blue. And I looked like a smuggler then. I really did look like a smuggler. I had like beach pants, big ponytail, you know, and, uh, and I just actually looked the part. And what we bought it for was that we were going to take the heated units out of the seats and you could get sort of 15 kilos under each seat. It looked really nice, you know. Wow. So there I was driving up the coast, driving up the Costa, left, left right on that, and I was smoking a porro, a joint. I call it a porro in Spain. <clears throat> so I had a little bit of pollen in my, a uh, lovely ball of pollen in my sock. And um, I smoked this joint and I, so I got these big colorful beach pants, ponies here. I come around and go, fucking roadblock. I'm all fucking now. <laughs> Straight up at you over here now. You are right fucking. I'm get hold of you. So as I got out, I fucked the joint out the window. As I come around the corner, they pulled me over and uh, I've opened the door and the dog's just gone fucking bar me. Oh, well, you smell his weed. You know what I mean? You smell hash. So the dog's jumped in. My Spanish isn't too bad. I said, I'm going to look at the leather. The pedal. Calm the pedal. I was shouting at the guardians. I said, look at the fucking dog scratching the leather on my car. He said, don't understand the hashish. Like, where's the hash? Where's the hash? I said, look. Coño. Which is, can't excuse my French, in Spanish. Coño, meow. So I've gone. Antes yo tengo un porro. He said, no. I said, mira. Pull this little ball of pollen out. I think he went, fuck off. Basically just went, threw it into the sea, which was there, and just said, fuck off. It's like that, <laughs> basically. He's just like, he's not going to start reading my car. Because he, he can see that I was so honest about it. I just so I had a joint, you know. He can tell I'm a smuggler. Mm. But I was so straight with the guys. I've just smoked a joint, basically, in English. I've got a little bit of pollen in my sock. And you guys have pulled me over. <laughs> and I just thought of throwing it in the sea. And he's going, yeah, there you go. <laughs> fuck it. He said, I'll just fuck off, basically. You know what I mean? One of those sort of crazy things in your life. It's just like... <sighs> But uh, yeah, things like that, really. It's just, um, but yeah, it just, I did so many different, that in my book just says everything, there's so many there. And, I, and again, it was a sad time I hung, I hung out with Terry Millman. Do you want to explain Terry's background? Then? Uh, Terry Millman was, uh, I think he was a friend of um, Dave Cortis, this, that and the other, but um, he was um, uh, a bank robber back in the day. He was a lovely man, proper, he actually properly looked like a, he should be a bank robber. The shape of his face, he had one of his teeth in his in. He, I got to know through my dad and he'd given up bank robbing and all that and he was a smuggler like me and we sort of married up him and his girlfriend and me and Joey I had a, I had a Mercedes which I bought from Germany van and he had his big Magiras Deutsch big German thing fucking fantastic bit of kit sort of nine litre and the pistons are like that six six pistons in this thing <laughs> but I hung with him for about a year we lived in Portugal we lived here we did there we did everywhere together me and, uh, me and Terry and um, yeah bless him but if you guys go on YouTube, if you guys go on uh, Netflix, you'll see him. He's called Diamond Geezers, and he was the guy that they actually brought up on it. Diamond Geezers. It's called Diamond Geezers. The YouTube, no, not the YouTube, the, uh, on the Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, and you'll see Terry Millman. Terry Millman. And I lived with the guy for a year, and we used to smuggle together. Brought it out to Morocco together. We had a roof rack built for his thing, and we made a sandwich where we could put the hash inside the uh, the roof rack, and then this, that, and the other. And I went down to Tisnit, and I picked up. Uh, a really nice solar panel. I had a lovely little Mercedes for a point in Germany from Karlsruhe. Again, I was like, because I know how old it was because I came out the day before Joey's 21st birthday and she was born on the 15th. So it would have been the 14th of April, 21st. So I would have been 26. And the thing about when you smuggle in Morocco is if you're doing some smuggling from there, you have to do three months. You're allowed to go to Morocco for three months. So there's me and Terry. Went out in the desert. We ended up getting stuck in the desert. I was stuck in the desert for two fucking days because of sandstorms. Honestly, we went out there. We couldn't get out of the fucking van. 
there was that much sand. There was that in the desert. It was me and Terry and a couple of other people. And when I actually, actually got out of the van, the whole side of my van was like that of sand. I had to dig my fucking van out just to move. It was like, you just sit there. And there's no alcohol there. You don't drink over there. It's mental. You know what I mean? You just get on with it. And I smoke a little drug. I've never been sort of a, a big smoker. I've never been a really big drug taker in my life. It's never been my thing, really, because I think because of the way I was brought up with my family. But uh, now they were Terry. Anyway, he did his thing. I did my thing. We left the girls on the left the girls down here doing their thing. Went up to the Rift Mountains and saw my my farmer Amido and made my own hash. Because I went to Tisnet and I bought this lovely solar panel. It's such a, and the thing about Tisnet is it's subsidised by the government, so you can buy solar panels there for a nice price for the third world country. Terry had made his thing, so he was happy with that. I made my thing. So I went to saw Amido, I <clears throat> made this lovely pollen. I got the best pollen. And I pressed it into half kilo blocks. And I, it's really funny because they have this, like, you know the trolley jacks you have for your car? They'd, they'd weld them together, two of them together, and you could make a block and you'd do it. And you'd, so I wasn't heating them, I was making it nice and cold. And this pollen I made was fucking lovely. It was so nice. They were like this size, and I made 12 kilos, which cost me about, I don't know, 800, 900 pounds from Amido. But I made this, and the way I'd done it was <clears throat> with my Merc. So when you actually pull into the farm, when you actually got the Rift Mountains, there's like a gate this end, a gate that end. And it's all, they're all a bit funky about it. But when you actually got the, they put a cellotape over you, never pay whatever the fuck that is. I don't know, but it's not going to make any difference to me. But anyway, so what I did was I made a little sleeve, like that little drawer with the end caps. So you take the end caps off and I made this drawer, which was in there. And then I basically made this, made this lovely pollen. And um, I got the guys to get me some beeswax, which is really nice. A normal candle. So I had this big heating thing going on here. Took all the bloody middle of the uh, the candles out and mixed it with beeswax. And once it was a nice cellophane, when I dipped it and put it on the sable and let it dry, it was lovely. So you couldn't smell it. Wow. Beeswax, beeswax yeah. and candle wax. It was lovely. And I made these plaques up. So it was great. So when I pulled this drawer out, I laid 12 kilos in here, slid it back in, and I put my end cap back on and I made them all rusty. Yeah, I've got to be thinking about this. And I took the ladder off the back of my camper van, and it was lovely in my camper van. I brought from Karlsruhe in Germany. It was lovely inside. So I put stickers over where the holes were, like you know, surfing stickers and that. So then uh, uh, me telling me just got on with it. It was that, 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 that I say what you just said about the scariest thing in your life. That was the scariest part of my whole existence. I think was smuggling out of Morocco. Imagine ending up in a prison. In well, that's what I mean. See, Ooh. a friend of mine died there, bless him. But all I'm saying was, it was a bit of a game with me. I had a dog called Lefty. I love Lefty, and it was great to always have a dog and all that there. But so, there's a place called Ceuta in Morocco, which is actually Spanish. So you come in from Morocco into Ceuta. So you go from Morocco into Spain, believe it or not, on the northeast coast of uh, Morocco. Is it? You heard of it, Ceuta? Mm-mm. It's called Septa, you see it. But that's Spain. So you've got a little bit of Spain in Morocco, believe it or not. So I've got it all sorted out. It's up there. It's in there. There's the 12 keys ordered. And it's just like, this is it. I've been there three months. You know, I've been out there. You know, I've been up the Rift Mountains. I've been up the, the High Atlas. Got loads of crystals. And there's this mega time there. I think I, was, I think I was terrified most of the time I was there, to be honest, because I knew what I was going to do. You know, when I was a young man. So we got down in Morocco. Come into the border, and the guys, the Moroccans, have got these fucking dirty arms on. They're going, hashish! You have hashish! Straight away, it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. They really are on you. Straight away. They just love it. And it terrifies you. Because you just, that, that's why they do it. They try and scare you straight away. 
So I got cut off shorts, I got really long hair, and there's Joey sitting there, day before her birthday. I said, Joey, get out of the van, just take the dog for a walk. And he's come in, he's looking around, and then you go through a place called No Man's Land, which is really funny. It was like a sort of half a mile of nothingness. I think you just sit there and never get busted. <laughs> you can sit there just smoking joints or whatever, nobody could touch you. It's a really weird thing. So the funny thing in my mind's eye was I went, if I get caught in Spain, I'm okay. I can just go to a Spanish nick. <laughs> so I got over there. The, the, the initial scary one was Morocco, which was terrified me. So I got over that one. I'm driving through now as Jerry and I was smiling. This is it was on Sunday. If you're going to smuggle, smuggle on a Sunday. If you're going to go on a ferry, because people are tired. That's my <laughs> mental attitude about it anyway. <laughs> Roast dinner, Sunday is a good day. So come across there again. Got into Suta. Spain, let me into Suta. So there's me and Joey in Suta. There's me 12 kilos on board upstairs. <clears throat> Got onto the ferry. And I look at the passport. Oh, you've been in there three months. That's cool. Me and Joey on the ferry coming over to Algeciras. And it's just like, fucking hell. Day before our 21st. Well, I was like, oh, shit, this is really bad. Everybody goes, okay. Well, she, she'd walk. She'd always walk. The women always walk. Because obviously you take, you take the fall. Got into Algeciras. And as we were coming down the thing, they pulled me to one side. And the Spanish fans opened the back of my... Uh, camper and mirror look basically mirror is look okay why so that's so nice because I put the lights in and went what a nice basically saying what a nice camper van you have <laughs> well thank you venga go close wow. the doors and then me and Jerry drove up the high street in Algeciras after all that work and three months in Morocco and I got 12 kilos above me and it was the happiest feeling of my life doing that I'd never do it again it mental <laughs> it's like but I was like 26 years old drove to the camping site that I knew and I got my friend John, a good friend of mine, he's a lorry driver. I uh, paid him five grand and gave him the van. And he drove it to Germany and I got four and a half thousand pound a kilo for it in Germany. Nice. A lot of money. Yeah. And he just took it out there. And the guy, he got to keep the van. Went straight up to Germany to my friend Hagen. And he just bought it all. He loved it. And it was so nice. But I know he'd love it because the thing about this, those sort of jobs is... um. If you do the work yourself, it works really well, you know. I work for my, my brother worked for me and people people work for me. Not that I'm a big worker sort of a guy. I'm very small and very neat and very tidy. I'm very OCD. I like things to be correct. When you work for a lot of people, there's so many mouths involved that can just say something. And you get rid of that, one of those links breaks. And so you keep it nice, sweet and calm. So yeah, it was one of my little jobs. It was a... Where are the best places to hide stuff on boats and vehicles? <coughs> boats, fuel tanks. Where, um, okay, so that's the biggest area. It depends on what size of size boat you're on, I suppose. I was on a fucking, when I did the Irish job, you couldn't hide it in one half tons. <laughs> you couldn't have just thrown it inside the boat. Fingers crossed. <coughs> um, but um, a job I used to do for a guy called, um, uh, and a guy I used to work for, which was, um, which is really sad because that's why I ended up going to prison was because it was a case of greed and boredom. So we're getting to the Irish job now. Let me yeah. just, let me just show the picture oh, God. to the camera. Here's you with <laughs> fourteen million that, pounds worth. Well, they say fourteen, fifteen, whatever 15, they decide. Fifteen million pounds worth of cannabis. Sat there. That was me and my buddy. There's pictures in multiple. Mm. And how many tons was that? One and a half. One and a half tons. Yeah. How did you first get recruited for this job? I've been a good friend of mine for many years. We've always been friends. But I was, we'd all split up and done our own thing. And I had this lovely little job, which I was doing for a, for a good Welsh friend of mine. And it was the best job ever. It was. It was pathetic the way I'd done this. Again, boredom, 
just sitting around, not doing anything. Because like, and I made enough money to last me a year. <clears throat> and this this little job I had was um, so you know the word Sola Grande, it was in southern Spain. Anyway, the the, the customs knew me, and me and my mates got sailing regular, and this is all part and parcel of the job. Hey, Mateo, come on, muy bien, hombre. And he knew that we would go out and do a bit of sailing and spend a day or so out. But one day we'd go out and pick up the gear. 250 kilos of the best pollen. And it'd take us like 24 hours. We'd go sail around the corner. A boat would come out with us in Morocco. We'd stick it in the fuel tank, straight back in. Job done. I'd scuff, but walk away. £35,000 in Swiss francs. I used to get paid for that. It took me two days. Job done. So I'd be doing this once a year. 35 grand's enough to live on for a year. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. It was like, and then I was sitting there and I was doing this, this lovely little job and then the customs even waved when I came back in. Ridiculous, because they knew me. And I had like 200 kilos in the fuel tank. But the fuel tank was made in such a way, there was no fuel in the, in the right side. But the fuel itself was, there was a tube made like a, like a test tube, but metal. But you dip it and you can see fuel on it. Wow. It was a hollow tank, it was full of gear. Great. So they have two sides, there are two sides of this, so both are the same. So that, it's like, hello, Mateo, how was that with me? Come in, walk away, and get you know, an envelope with £35,000 in Swiss francs. The Swiss francs are so sexy. You ever seen Swiss francs? You get £500 notes, they're lovely. And they had an antsel over them, they were just so gorgeous. Anyway, so I did this a couple of years for this guy, and then finally, Rick rang me up, so imagine I want to do a job to Ireland, one off tons. And I said, oh. I said oh, that'd be a nice little job. You know, in the paper, I think it says I was earning 40 grand, but I was actually earning 100 grand. It says 40 grand, but it was 100 grand. So um, I said, yeah, I'll fuck it. I'm bored. And, you know, I said to Joey, do you mind hanging here for a bit? And she had, we had a bit of money at the time anyway, so she was okay. <laughs> she had Amber Jay, which was my daughter at the time, and she was just over a year old. And um, I said, yeah, be cool. You still seem quite confident about what you do, you know. And uh, we went out one time, they weren't there, came back. They bought the boat. It was, it was we were working for the Dutch, the Dutch Connection. And um, I wasn't asking questions. I was just, you know, the boat, the boat was bought for like 40 grand or whatever. It was like a fishing boat. And uh, so me, Barry and and, uh, and uh, Rick were involved. And yeah, we went out, picked up the gear and off we go. Is that a picture of the boat there? Yeah, that's the that that's Posidonia. That's the Posidonia there. There might be Thanks. a bigger picture somewhere. But yeah, the Posidonia again. That's a picture of the boat. Some of these articles are online. I'll put links in the description box below if you want to. Well, before I leave you, uh, uh, Sean, you can keep all hold of this. You might want to do some have some fun with it. I don't Thanks. know. Thanks. But uh, yeah, but I'm not to keep, but just to sort of use it to be yeah, honest and yeah. uh, do what you want to do. Okay. But yeah, off we went. Basically, we had a load of brandy on board. Both sort of had a little taste for the brandy, me and Rick, which was fun. But yeah, one half tons. I was trying to work it every day. It's like the, the, each uh, buta weighs twenty five kilos. So I worked that out, 15 tons, so one and a half tons. So what does I work out then? Go on, mathematicians. Each one's uh, 25 keys. So there was a lot of them. <laughs> there was one and a half, so 1,500 kilos. So 100 kilos is, is, is four butos. So there was a lot. <clears throat> on board, off we go to Southern Ireland. And we were supposed to, I don't know who we were meeting. I was just uh, put my my life in Rick's hands. He's a, he's a lovely man, Rick. I love him to this day. Good fella. Um, but um, was this the biggest load you'd ever done? Oh god, yeah, point? one half tons. Yeah, I was doing two hundred kilos here, hundred kilos there, power boats across the water, <laughs> little bits and pieces. Psychologically, did you feel you had to challenge yourself to step well, up to this? I don't think so. No, I was bored. Not a terrible thing to say. 
I've been sitting around the house for like weeks and weeks and weeks, you know. Everyone get out brandy coffee, obviously we made some bought motorbikes and nice cars. You know, just have fun, you know. <laughs> the thing was, you know, there was never another tomorrow. You know, people say to me to this day, it's quite strange when I meet people say, well, didn't you save your money and buy a house? I was like, I'm a smuggler. It's fucking great. I was a young kid. You know, I have my own little issues and that. And, you know, I just didn't expect, you know, this to happen. <laughs> but uh, it, took, it took us two weeks to get up. The one half turns on board. What um, date did you set sail? Uh, well, we got busted on the 17th of November, 1999. So you can work it out from there. So it must have been like the first of maybe the end of October. We were going quite smoothly in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was fine. The, the Bay of Biscay was obviously uh, pretty rough. It's always rough because you've got the big thing there and just up and down, up and down. <clears throat> but that's fine, you know. Had food on board and everything was good and got bashed about a bit, obviously because of the weather. The weather was quite bad. And um, we came up to Southern Ireland and uh, it was... Unreal because nobody came out to us. I was quite surprised. We sort of turned up. Obviously, if you're outside 12 miles, you're outside international waters, so the old bill can't touch you. <laughs> you got international waters. Anything outside that, they can't. You can, you know, you can be going up yours 12 miles away from them, and they can't touch you because you're in international waters. As soon as you break that seal, then you're fucked. So you just nudge up to the border. Yeah, on, yeah. On but the what, we're up there, up, we're up there, just hanging around. And, uh, you know, uh, Rick uh, had this satellite phone, which was one of these things he put out, and he said, no, you're going to come and meet us. This and nothing was coming back to us. It was quite weird. What a fucking operation. Weird? Know, exactly. Like, We've done our bit. Yeah. I just come and get your bit. That um, and I can fucking come in, call it a day, fly home, see my family, and have a lovely time. You think someone would be on the ball for that amount of money? I don't know. One and a half tons. I don't know who it was or what they were. <laughs> I don't want to uh, sort of set aspersions at people, but there's obviously... I don't know who it was who actually owned that gear, who bought that gear, who did this gear. All I was doing was my job, and I'll get paid 100 grand at the end of the day. So, in a situation like that, do you have to go and sail off somewhere else, or you just stayed up? I was waiting. Oh, we man. waited for two fucking days. Oh, and obviously, that... obviously, the, the, the way I read it myself after being there was that there were other fishing boats out there. And obviously, we are not part of, they, they know who's supposed to be out there. You're standing out now. We are standing out like a fucking sore thumb. So they're going, who the fuck is this then? Sitting out here with us, fishing boat, isn't it? They've rang up the customs, haven't they? Two days I was there. And they've sort of basically said to the customs, there's a fishing boat out here that doesn't look right. Nobody ever said this to me, ever. But I know that's what would have happened. Yeah. Mentally, over the years of thinking about it, <laughs> one of the fishing boats has rang up and said, look, hey, there's some fishing boat out here that's been hanging around here for the last couple of days. It's called the Posidonia. It's not Irish. da 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 so we're doing this, and, blah, blah, blah. and um, it was the craziest thing. I was down below doing something. And um, you always keep your radio on channel 16 when you're at sea because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a distress channel. So wherever you go, it's channel 16. <clears throat> Unless you're talking to somebody, it's usually a channel number. But um, channel 16 is funny. It was like, it was like Ellie Kira, Ellie Kira, be prepared for an onboarding party. All I heard was that. The next thing I heard was, dung, 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 dung. All on the deck, just like that. So the customs had sneaked up with us, both sides, with a couple of dinghies, with guys. And the thing was, it was quite weird because they've they all got life preserves. It was sort of November now. The fucking sea is cold. People actually said to me, why didn't you take a little bit and row it in and this, that, and the other? And da, da, da. I said, no, fuck it, it's November. It's fucking freezing. If I'd have fallen in the water, I'd have been dead within minutes. Everybody's got great ideas, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, they should have, would have. No, they should have, would have, could have. So I went, dung, 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 dung. Next thing I know, they come wrecking the boat, machine guns, stair machine guns, all with all with these live suits on, 
they're like um uh well just like they're, 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 you could fall in the sea and float around for days on end and never die they're like life life preservers and they come running in these guys and lay on the ground da, 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 da. and uh it was the weirdest thing because i actually felt like oh thank fuck it was really weird so like, oh, i'm so tired i've been at sea for a couple of weeks i've been so busy and i just run out of energy and then i'd run out of waiting for a couple of days and finally the police had boarded us or the customs had boarded us and laying on the ground and we were laying there thinking oh this is shit but oh, we have a lay down now <laughs> <laughs> so they got us up and then uh, this will come to a crescendo at the end when i tell you about the court case uh this is where it works out they went up to the uh captain my captain rick and said do you have anything to declare and he went yes one and a half tons of hashish the best thing he ever said, because that saved my sentence, because he said that. Oh, he, admit, he took responsibility. He admitted to guilt straight away. No, 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 for us all. If he'd have lied, then they can take it differently. So, and then you say your evidence, say, we'll go and court this, that, and the other. But he said, yes, one and a half tons of cannabis. Because it wasn't fucking hidden. You couldn't not go below and see no hash. Do you know what I mean? It was there. <laughs> so what he said saved us. How did that save you? Because usually you, you plead the fifth when the police ask you a question. No, because the thing is, at the end of the day, we'll get this at the end of the day. I went not goody for a while because because the, they said this. But even the, even, even the uh, uh, A.G. Murphy, the hanging judge, they called him, who was sort of our case man for about a year on and off, <coughs> said I was going to give you 22 years, but you went guilty straight away. I see. All right, let's, before we jump forward to that then, SWAT team on the on the boat, Yeah. What, what, what do they do with you? I just sat there and they sat in front of me, all around me with their machine guns, doing this. Fuck me, it's hard in here. Because <laughs> it took us about six hours to get in. And these poor fellas, they had these life preservers on. You could jump in the sea. They were so fucking hot. And they were like, you know, my sort of age, 25, and that machine guns. And it was just like, fuck, you know, sitting there thinking, oh, fuck, you know, this is your shit. <laughs> uh, and then somebody came in. And um, my arrest, I'll never forget my arresting officer. His name was Damien. He was a, a really nice, it turned out to be a really nice guy. The thing about me is this case of, with my trade and everything, I... I've never been negative towards prison officers and stuff like that in the UK. That's their job, you know, and I was, I've never hurt anybody with my job. I've never been, that's why I didn't want to do cocaine, but I've never hurt anybody physically or I've never stole from anybody. I've just been, I feel like a PM man from Morocco, but <coughs> we came in, got us off the boat, got in the police car and off we went to the local Nick, local police station. Damien my, was my officer, arresting officer and, um, I remember going into the police station and just, uh, the normal Nick, you know, normal police station, nothing special. I remember sitting down and this guy in front of me, he's just sat down and I remember sitting there thinking, oh, God, I'm so fucking tired. He went, welcome to Ireland. I went, oh, that's a nice, nice opening word there, isn't it really? Thank you. For, thanks for that. <laughs> and then that was it. Then it just sort of escalated from there. Like I ended up going, having a shower. I remember stripping off and the, I remember the, uh, the my, 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 my arrest officer, Damien, went, Excuse me. <coughs> oh my God, man, look at this state. What happened to you? Because around my waist and up here, I've been at sea for two weeks and everything's moving around you and you're knocking into things, but it's all like that heights. So I'm all bruised to fuck around here. Like I had a kick in or something because I, I didn't actually look at myself over the last two weeks, but when I've been knocking into stuff at the sort of waist height on a yacht, on, 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 a, on a boat, then you get bruised. So I was like, oh my God, I've got to stay. And he went, fucking hell, what's happening to you? Went, well, it's called smuggling, mate. Trying to bring some hashish into your country. 
So he was like, I was there for seven days, seven or eight days, and it got to the stage where I was like, I've never been in prison before. I've never been in a cell in my life, ever. I was terrified. Are you housed with your co-defendants? Are you separated? Separated. Oh, they, they, they did the, the good cop, bad cop. It was one of those things all night. And they were, they were so chuffed. Everyone was so chuffed. Big headline. Oh, mate, they loved it. Oh, my God, we got one-off turns. But, but I didn't realise that. I didn't realise how infamous or famous I was going to become with what was going on. I just thought, my name's Matt. I've never going to have The worst phone call ever was ringing up Joey. My phone call said, Joey... I'm fucked, mate. What? Been busted. Oh, shit. So she was poor little Joe. We're stuck in Gibraltar. Mm. Stuck in La Linea. Sold my tagger watch for like a grand that I loved. You know, things like that. And got enough money and flew back to the UK within sort of six weeks because she knew she could sort of go on the dole and become somebody back in the UK than mm. Gibraltar. <clears throat> but yeah, so there's Damien there and a bit of food and they'd take us all out individually. There was, there was Barry, there was Rick, there was me and they'd just take us out different times of the day and night and just interrogate us basically. Who's your partner? It wasn't violent or anything like that. It was just like asking us questions and you're tired and you're fucked off with all this and um, and then Damien got quite friendly and he used to push newspapers under the door for me. There's a lot of this came from I think. It was like this, that and this and that and this and I remember I was walking outside having a fag with him and I said to him like, oh, what's this? I said, Matt, Iris, she said, blood's thicker than water. I thought, oh, fucking, I'm going to get killed by going to fucking prison. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I was so scared. I was terrified. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to go to prison. Proper prison now. Grown-up world. So the, you got transported to which prison? <clears throat> Rathmore Road in Cork. What was your first day in prison, mate? There. That was... Um... um that was the one. That was the crescendo because I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. I'm going to prison. You know I mean, I'm going to prison. So I just did sign my, my luggage aid. So I'm going to prison and I'm thinking, after what Damien said, I'm going to get this shit kicked out. I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get this. Because obviously you, you hear about prison from other people and you, you think this is the way it is. You're going to get raped and you this. Seen Shawshank and all that. Yeah, he's seen all the films. And da, 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 you know. So obviously I know so much different now from being all the years in prison. So um, <clears throat> I got caught. Like It got to the stage actually where I was actually quite looking forward to it, but scared because I just wanted to get out of my cell because I've been, I've been in a local Nick cell for sort of seven or eight days and they've got a little tiny room, nothing going on. They give you a bit of a ding-dong meal and again, the odd newspaper. It was really boring. And we finally got transferred to um, Rathmore Road um, in Cork, which is uh, quite a secure prison. And um, so I was put in a, a sort of a six-man cell with uh, Rick and Barry and uh, myself and some other people, which is like a two-man cell, a six-man cell. And uh, well, I'm sure you know from your thing, but back in Ireland, they call it recreation, rec time, where in the evening time you go up to the sort of room with a cage over your goddamn fucking telly and you watch a bit of telly and that. <clears throat> so I was there with Barry and Rick and I went, I've got to do it. The thing about me, I'm very, I get very scared and very worried. I'm not a fighter. I can't fight for nothing. I'm, not, I'm a good runner, but I can't run anymore because of my fucking chest. But uh, I am a good runner. I can run like, I used to be able to run really well, but I can't run now because of my fucking cancer. But, um, but um, yeah, so I said to Rick and Barry, I've got to do this. I've got to break the ceiling. I've got to go up and see what's going to go on because I'm fucking frightened. But I need to go up and, you know, I'm going to be here for a long time now and we all are. They both stayed in their cells, bless them. So I went to rec. And I remember seeing this, it was a big basketball court and the TV's at the end. It's, it's only a fucking 32-inch telly, it's tiny. 
It's a proper tube one and everything. There's nothing modern. And uh, cage over the front of it. So I remember going out and grabbing a chair and pushing it right to the back and just sitting there like that in my chair thinking, here we go. Because I'm thinking Irish, English, you know, they're going to kill me. They're going to do this. I'm a real git. And um, I was sitting like that. I was, thinking, oh, I'm so sc- I was so scared. And I'm looking at the telly and guess what I see on the telly? Your bust. Me coming out of fucking court in a red fucking boat. In my red jacket. <laughs> Saw me coming out looking like that. Saw me coming out looking like that. Saw me coming out with my head like that, my head down. And I, was, I was actually walking out. I was actually walking out of court. And then guess what happened? Everybody stood up and cheered. <laughs> On my life. There's me absolutely terrified. But I didn't hurt anybody in Ireland. I didn't rob them or kill them. It all of a sudden turned around. I was doing a service for Ireland. One minute I thought I was going to be killed. Next minute they all jumped up. Oh my God, it's him. And they've come over. I started shaking my hand. and going, oh my God, man. Do you okay? Do you need something? Do you want this? Do you want that? You got any hash on you? Yeah, just like a bar of hash at me arse. I'm fine. You can have a bit of that. be fine. It's like that, it was like within seconds, I've become a hero. Just like that. And there's me terrified that I'm going to be killed because I didn't look at the mathematical equation of how it works. <laughs> I was smuggling cannabis into their country and a good 90% of these people in here smoke. Another one is a joint. And they were hassling me straight away. Have you got a joint? I said, oh, no, I haven't got a joint. So within seconds, from one minute I'm terrified to the next minute, don't go near him. He's the man. He's the man. And it was all that, you know. It was so wow. nice how it transferred from one thing to another. Just like that. That's your good karma, man. Well, that's it. It was the the, the, the craziest thing. So after that, uh, life escalated in prison. It was brilliant. I, I had such a good time in prison. Really, I just I got my own cell. I got this. I was an artist. I used to uh, to paint pictures. Um, and I, the, my nickname was Howard or Mr. Nice. Remember the book? Yeah, Mr. Nice. That was my yeah, uh, was my nickname, yeah. Mr. Nice. Going, and nobody touched me. Not that there's any, there's any violence in the nigga. Oh, there's stupid people their own little fucking issues. That was fair enough. But, uh, oh, no, no, that's Matt. No, no, you can't go near him. He's cool. I had so much tobacco from selling my paints. I just sort of spread it around the cells. I was doing so much burn, as they called it. And, you know, but uh, it was, it was, um, it was mental the way it changed for me. I was so terrified that it turned into, oh, fuck me. I'm a hero here. How cool is that? And like everybody sort of come up to me and say, I can give me a portrait of this. And I had my art classes. I was, uh, I used to do uh, big oil paintings for the uh, for the screws. And how did the screws treat you? Oh, guards? really well. Because I was a nice guy. I was, you know, I was there for a long time. Did they have slopping out? Yeah, yeah. We had a little fucking circular thing in the morning. and so was... You had to piss and shit in a pot? Yeah, but obviously I didn't shit in it. I was just to piss in it. There was no TVs and all that. In, in Ireland and I said I had a 14 day rotation menu which was fucking boring for three years what, I mean what was your favourite item on the menu the rice pudding rice pudding <laughs> I used to love rice pudding what did you hate well I don't know they always used to like uh, ham and mash and stuff like that but there was nothing really that I hated I just needed to stay alive I suppose but um, it was um uh, yeah, if I couldn't believe it, 14... Well, I did believe it because I thought that's how prison was. A 14-day rotation menu to come to the UK. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I did that for like uh, three years. I was banged up there. 
And how was this trial going, the situation? Well, the thing was, I was getting arraigned every sort of three or four weeks, which means they have to take us out of the cells, strip searches, look at us, stick us in a fucking taxi and send us to a court and arraign you and send you back. And while the trial was there, to come on sort of rearresting you all the time. It was quite crazy. Um, uh, it was mental. And this is something that, uh, that, that, that really got me um, to this day was I was sitting in my cell uh, with uh, Rick and Barry and... Um, it's a new guy in my cell. This is so fucking weird and true. Some guy in my cell. I don't know. Um, do you guys want to escape? I said, what? Because they knew we were smugglers and we could do stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to say who they were. But you've all got your, you've all got your mind's eye about Ireland and so on and so forth. So I said, what? He said, do you want to escape? I said, well, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. And um, I said, well, he said, you're in court in a couple of weeks to be rearranged. He said, I'll be in court. I thought, oh, I thought you mean court in prison, so wasn't he? He said, I'll be in court in two weeks' time. And he says, if you want to escape, just nod. Because the thing was, there was no, um, uh, they, they, they weren't sort of, um, sort of uh, 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 vans uh, that, that were high security. They were taxes. They just take us to fucking court in taxes every three weeks to get us rearranged all the time. Or, you know, people carry her. And there was me, Rick and Barry. I got cuffed. We're sitting there with a couple of prison officers. Off we went. I was sitting in the court. Oh, here we go again. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are you. Yeah, okay, yeah. And the thing was, he came in. He was there for twenty four hours and he left. How the fuck did he come into prison? Speak to me and Barry and Rick and leave. Then I saw him two weeks later in the court. And we'd already decided no. I said I'm not going to be because obviously they wanted us for our abilities. Basically, what we could do, we could sail, we could move things, this, that, and the other. And I went, and he just left. But if I'd have gone like that, I'm sure anybody would have got in the taxi, people would have come running out with guns, dragged us out of a taxi, and off we went. And we'd have been, I couldn't believe it. It was the maddest thing that somebody came into my cell in court prison, which was quite high, and just did that. Did not, not appeal to your adrenaline junkie side, or was that too far? I was just getting too much, that was. I mean, you're sitting in prison. and, and The thing was, I resigned myself to prison. It was a case of, um, I had no visitors. I said to Joey and my kids and all that, and my kid, I want no, nobody to visit me. Um, because uh, I'm in my own ecosystem here. And I'm doing my time. And that's it. And I saw guys coming back from their visits crying. and all. I get a phone call every day. <clears throat> a quick phone call to the family. Say hi, hey, I mean, I write letters, and you know. my artwork was 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 so good. I was doing so many paintings, and I was selling it to the screws every Christmas. I send no money. Nobody ever sent me money. I was making more money in the nick than anything. And I was selling my lovely paintings to the screws for like two hundred pounds. It would go into my account, you know. So at Christmas, I send money home to Joey and my little girl Amber Jade, and they could buy swings and this, that, and the other. I say Rick was my Barry did his own thing, but Rick. I never realised how clever he was. He was a brilliant uh, um, uh, carpenter. And, and the thing was, we were we were a good advertisement for the prison. We're in the newspaper and everything. Going, these guys, look at this. Rathmore Road Prison's really cool because they've got these artists in there. They could do this. And there's portraits and paintings. I was doing forgeries of fucking Van Gogh. <laughs> but, they were, they, they, but they were forgeries, though. They were a case of... I did say they were forgeries. They weren't. I didn't actually... Because I got Maria Hegarty, my art teacher, and Billy Foley 
who's done a lovely picture of me, who's quite famous now, the Archie, who's on my Archie's, that um, it was a case of, uh, it was like, a, they used to buy me anything. They're like, she said, I think Maria Hegarty said they got £40,000 a year to spend on the art class. And they were a bunch of twats, most of them. And I mean, they're recidivists, which I love that word. They'd be like in and out of prison. I'd be sitting there and I'd see the same guy coming to prison over the years I was there about 20 times. I had the same thing when I went back to Wandsworth. It was a case of like, uh, you know, guys that are crackheads and that. They'd go out and, uh, you know, do their crack and nick some CDs and get back to prison again and get fed for a month, pick themselves up and go and do it again. And then come back in again. And that was their life. There was like, oh, please put me in prison. I need to eat some food. And So in court, how much time are they telling you you're facing? 22. 22. And how are you dealing with that psychologically at this stage? I'm fine with it now. No, um, I mean back then. Oh, back then I was terrified. Um, but I didn't know that, to be honest. I can't say that now because I didn't know that till the end of the trial. You know, it was one of those things where I didn't realise that um, I was looking at 22 until A.G. Murphy, my judge, said that. So you're in court and you hear that and what is that like, boom, to the oh. head? Well, no, because it was the end. It's the end. It was the end of the trial. He gave me eight years. Okay. But the but, first time you heard 22 oh, years. Terrifying. Yeah. It was a case of, um, like, we had a, we had a, our trial went on for a long time. And I said we went, we went not guilty because um, what happened was we had um, solicitors, but, you know, it was, it was legal aid. But, hey, when you're in prison for one and a half turns, every fucker wants to be on your, every solicitor wants to be a bit of you. Because they get the airtime, they get a bit of telly, they get a bit of newspaper. So we had this guy come down from Dublin, a little tiny guy, I don't think of his name now anyway, but he came down and uh, one, and he was like, you know, two, three thousand pounds a day. He wanted this sort of a guy, but it was free to us and he was doing it free because he could get himself on the telly. He could get in the newspaper. He was like, oh my God, we're doing this. And, this. and he found little tiny claws in all these books saying that, uh, you know, 17 something this that and the other it's an act of piracy if you board somebody's boat it's like well go for it Matt go not guilty go not guilty go not guilty so we're not guilty for nearly a year fighting it well I wasn't fighting it they were fighting it I wasn't sitting like in my cell reading law books I was just like letting them get on with it and they said do this Matt do this Matt and so based on the last day they said uh, we ain't because I was listening to A.G. Murphy talking and uh, he just sort of went over the top of it and went, I don't think you should be like this. And went over the top, moving into this. And <clears throat> you're looking at 22 years, then call it a day. And then one of the, um, being this, one of the jury's woman came back and they found some evidence in the, um, uh, in the information about us that shouldn't have been there. So the trial was dropped. So we had to be, it's really funny because we actually left. We, we were free. We were fucking free. Do you remember what that information was? I'm not sure. It was something that she found in the box of material regarding our case that she looked at and went, that shouldn't have been in here. And it was told back to the judge and the jury and all that. And it was like the case was dropped. Wow. So we were actually freed. Fucking free. But we knew we weren't free. And so then you can go. Now you're free to go. What? And we walked out of the court and we were rearrested. Oh. <laughs> but it gave us a chance to change our plea. So uh, Taff, my, one of my sisters at the time, said, Matt, go guilty, mate. Go guilty now. So I went back in, da, 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 blah, 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 and just turned around and said, yeah, I'm going to go guilty. And that's when I got eight. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll go guilty now. And uh, he said, well, I was going to give you 22 years, but uh, you've gone guilty. 
and they're going to give you eight. And it's really funny for someone that's never been in prison in their life before to be jumping up and down with happiness <laughs> to get eight years in prison. Yeah. When I got nine and a half, it was one of the happiest days of my life. You got as nine. Well. I felt that. Yeah, is it still a half? Is it still halves in the in the states? Or is it? Um, I had a, a lawyer who got a loophole for me, so I ended up serving six on nine. You and did a six half. behind the door, yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to do eighty-five mostly. Depends on the seriousness of your crime. Okay. If, you, if it's a murder, then you're going to do all of it. Because the UK is half, if you're good. Yeah, it's not that in America. It's like you do nearly all of it. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I was facing decades, and Whoa. when they told me nine and a half years, that was like, whew, so happy. Isn't it the weirdest thing? Yeah. You get told that you're first time in the nick, you think, oh, I've got eight years. Yay! <laughs> it's like, God damn, you know? It's just sort of, um... Did this make you reflect <clears throat> on... Having faced the, the 22 and then get the nine. Yeah. Then it was like, were you oh, reflecting on everything you'd ever oh, done in so, your life? I was so happy. I was like, oh, God. Because the thing is, I have done over a year because this, this trial had gone for a long time. So I only had a bit of time left. So then it turned into getting repatriated. And it was a case of like, you know, I've got my paperwork, all this here. And I've got letters to this person, that person. To, to, um, uh, I went to um, MPs in the UK. So can you get me back? Can you get me back? And I had all these lovely letters from all these different. Now we can't. And they were all like. But um, yeah, so basically I was in for repatriation. And like I say, after sort of doing all my artwork and doing it, it was, it was funny because some of the guys in Ireland were like, they're so tough. Oh, these guys are fucking bare knuckle fighters. There's one guy, I kept doing a portrait of his fucking dad driving me mad. And I was taking art classes and computer classes. I did it once, did it twice. And he kept coming back to the same picture. It was pissing me off now. And I used to get three packets of backy for a bloody picture. What I did at the end there, I thought, I don't know. So I scanned, and the scanner scanned the picture, printed it off. So when he wanted one, I just, just touched it up with, I touched it up with a bit of pencil. <laughs> and it was the same. He was so happy. Oh, man, hang on. <laughs> it was so funny when he was like, yeah. Oh, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was sure I'll stay up tonight and do this for you. <laughs> but it was so funny. But yeah, so obviously I did that in Ireland and um, yeah, piss pots, this and that and the other. But I was so used to that. And then I finally got repatriated <clears throat> and we had to go via Mount Joy. What year is this? They're moving you over to England. Uh, 2003, I suppose. But honestly, the repatriation I had to go via Mount Joy. Um, which was like, oh my God, fucking Mount Joy, because Mount Joy is quite very famous over the nine, which I didn't realise about. And it's like, you know, we used to get prisoners coming down from Mount Joy <coughs> for like, you know, for being naughty. They'd be sent to our prison to be away from their family. And they used to do shit protests. They were terrible. They'd be putting a cell, they'd come inside with shit and do all that bloody malarkey. And it was like, but these are these guys. So when I was repatriated, I had to go and sit in Mount Joy for a couple of weeks. When I got there, it was like, fucking hell. All the guards and all that had their shirts open. And it was ran by the, it was actually ran by the cons. It was mental. It was the weirdest thing to see. Well, you, did you still have your hero status? From yes, the big well, that bus? was it. See, I didn't realize I still had it because it was three years since it happened. You know what I mean? Then going up to Dublin, I said, oh, shit, I'm a little bit scared again. Then. Oh, you, you're the fucking guy from Cork. <laughs> you're Matt, you're Mr. Nice. You're here, man. You, you're the guy with the one half tons. Oh, under their wing straight away. Come with me. Do you want some hash? Do you want this? Do you want a drink? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want a mobile? It was like great. So I was two weeks there, which was nice. And that's the floors were all wooden and the doors were wooden. It was the oldest fucking prison I've ever seen in my life. Stuck me on a plane, Con Air, I called it. It was quite funny. 
I had like, these two prison officers either side of me and so like that. And it was like you had to sort of walk through the Dublin airport and it was like going the back routes and then on the back of the plane. And I was like, come on, guys, don't hang off. Oh, please give me a GNT. <laughs> 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 Excuse me. And then uh, we finally land in the, in the UK and off to Wandsworth. And um, yeah, Wano. It was a case of like, oh my God, Wandsworth. And again, my sort of, so I don't know the hero status. I can't really say that, but uh, my status of one and a half tons of cannabis, which is a huge amount of fifty million pound, sort of carried itself around, and sort of people had heard about it. And also, I turned up in Wandsworth, thinking, "Oh, you go again." But Wandsworth was a lot different to Ireland, a lot more um, regime. And I mean, it was all very sort of this has to be like this. But I said, "I got a menu. I got to choose some food." That was oh my god, salmon, pink salmon. Like honestly, I was like that. I was like. Jesus Christ, I get a choice of what I want for my lunch. I was amazed that you could actually choose your food and do this, that and the other. I was absolutely blown away by all that. That was amazing that you could do that. And I was, as soon as I sort of settled in a little bit, I was on it. Did you have a cellmate? Uh, yeah, I had one guy, to start with you, I'm trying to think of who I were now. There were so many different cellmates over my life. I can't remember his name now, but he, he turned me on. What did he turn me on to? He turned me on to... Um, a band, I'm trying to think of the band now. Anyway, it will come to me. But um, no, I had a cellmate and that. And, um, but I didn't want to be with a cellmate, so I got onto the gym department and showed them my certificate that I'd earned. And I was a gym orderly. Got a job in the gym! <laughs> and they get your own cell, you get this, you get that and the other. And uh, it was great. I was a gym orderly. And just all I do is spray the thing and spend a day there. And just So you get your own cell, you get up in the morning and the gym people, the, the, the guys know you and... It's just really nice. It's just, uh, you know, you just kick back. I blagged my way through a lot of it because obviously I had three years in Ireland. <clears throat> and obviously the, the screws know who I am and what I am. And I wasn't a danger. That's another thing as well. I wasn't in there for violence. I wasn't in there for hurting anybody. I was in there for, I was a smuggler. And I was really good at what I did within reason. But um, it was a case of, uh, you know, the screws were, were, were nice to me. All the screws were great to me. Like even when I was in Ireland, you know, so I was doing artwork and that and um, things like uh, bits of garlic, a bit of onion. That sometimes I'd be in my cell and the door would go and I'd do this little bag drop down close. And there'd be like an onion and a bit of garlic in there for me and one of the screws, which was so sweet. I didn't have to do that, but I was painting pictures. and But I wasn't a problem. And I mean, there, was, there were guys in there that were problems. You know, one guy when I was in High Dan, I remember sitting with these other guys that were really heavy jelly and... Um, I was on my balcony and some twat had got himself on the wing and he was a paedophile. And what happened was he'd sneaked himself onto the wing, but the screws had told a couple of guys, my friends, that are really scary and dangerous, that um, there's a paedophile on the wing. So I'm sitting there, I'm standing up with the thing outside my, my, my cell and there's this guy, this guy. I remember seeing his face, he went really white. All right, and walked around from it and then just went into this cell. It was a big alarm went off and all that. They both came out of the cell covered in blood. The guys came out of the cell covered in blood, not the man that was in there. But what a stupid thing to do. You're a paedophile, you get segregated and you get put over there. Why do you want to come onto our wing and deal with people like I know that are absolutely lethal people? You know what I mean? Anyway, but yeah. Just, this is the life of prison, I suppose. And so how did you meet DJ Mike Hot Wheels? And before you answer that, um, I've lived with Mike now 
one of my best mates for 10 years and um he's got a mix actually on soundcloud so i'm going to yes. put the link to the soundcloud mix Do in that. the description box below this video many of you may be aware of mike from my book party time my life stories of trilogy party time hard time prison time so the link to all the merch the box wild man t-shirts everything like that is in the description box below this video as well so mike was supplying ecstasy to me out of la he gets <coughs> busted ends up in the feds uh, does time in the feds he was in the same prison as big herc actually in california big herc shout out big youtuber big prison youtuber and then um he got deported back to the uk so he was finishing his sentence in the uk and then you, meet him, met so- him, yeah. you meet him somehow coldingly coldingly he was a sea cat because I did my time in, uh, I don't understand the names of these things. Back in the day, I was in an A cat, which was obviously Ireland. Then I was in a B cat, which was uh, which was uh, Wandsworth, a bit more laid back. And then you get them with C cats. Everybody's chasing a C cat, or they want to go to a D cat, which is an open prison. You want to go there, but I made it to a C cat, and I was so chuffed when I finally got out of um, Wandsworth because it was a very sad place when you saw these young kids. It's a reallocation, Nick, and I saw these kids coming in from uh, with a kilo of coke. But inside them, that was their little job. They were mules. They'd fly over from uh, from the West Indies. They'd have capsules in them. Get and, and and they had to get ten years. It was a minimum sentence of ten years. And this kid might be nineteen years old. His family and that were back in the West Indies. He swallowed these, flew into London, arrested ten years. It was so sad watching this this happen on a regular basis. 10 years. You could just look at me. I bet he's got 10 years. I bet he's got 10 years. So sad because that, that was what they had to give by law. You know, a kilo of coke in your stomach. And it was like, oh, shit. But anyway, I um, did my time in Wano. Finally got to fucking... And I got to... Um, coldly, oh, my God. I'm your own key. You got a damn cell. The PlayStation. If you wanted one, I just go to sit with my mate's cell and play PlayStation. And just the food, the life, the big outside playing chess with people it was just like a great big holiday camp I loved it <laughs> that's why I met Mike you know he kept himself to himself Mike. so how like, did you actually meet him then? can you describe it um, well Mike I think it was a case of like he didn't really come out with himself very much he would kept himself to himself Mike which I understand obviously he'd come back from the States but um, I remember sort of sticking my nose in his cell one day and sort of saying hi and from that it just escalated and me and him became friends you know but he still stayed as Mike. That was Mike. He was just Mike getting himself to himself and he was, he was a cool dude. And he was intelligent. You know, like a lot of the guys in the Nick, not a bad mouth of them, but uh, a good 90% of them were twats. Yeah, third can't read all right. Where I was, I was a lot just never had education. thrown away as kids. Onto the yeah, street. it's very sad, some of them, but some of them are not like that. Some of them are little shitheads, you know what I mean? And they are just, they're just designed to go to prison at the end of the day. Whereas like yourself and me and Mike, I think I remember you interviewing with Dave Courtney. It's like, like some of us aren't designed for prison, but you meet people now and again. They're great. Like a good ninety percent of my prisoners that I was prisoned up with was shit. Like when I was in, uh, uh, I say I did, I, I did cold and he met Mike. He was lovely, and we were just chat and that, and he was just like something I could talk to that was intelligent. <laughs> so I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> You know, I just stabbed him or I just beat him up or I just shot him. It was just, I couldn't be dealing with that in my life. I didn't, that, that's not me. That's not my life. Whereas Mike was interesting and he told me things. He was a great artist. He's a really good artist, Mike. Great DJ. 
fuck's sake. <laughs> the week I gave him, I gave him a box of my um, my mini discs and stuff that I made in prison. I gave it to him as a gift because I thought I was going to die a lot quicker than I am now. But uh, so I gave him this box that I made uh, that took me months to make in prison, which is a, a which is a mini disc box <laughs> and a mini disc holder with mini disc player. I made that in Ireland in my woodwork classes and I gave it to Mike uh, a few weeks back now because I thought I was going to die a lot quicker and I uh, thought let's just sort of pass on things to people that I care for and I care for him very much, Mike. He's a good man. Okay, so what year were you released and how did you find out about the cancer? I was released in 2004. I have a quick one now. I'll try and do a quick one with you because I was released in 2004. Um, my parole officer was a shithead. His name is Richard. I hope you're there watching this, you dickhead. Anyway, he, um, I got done for drink driving. Then he told the police about that and they, uh, they put me back in prison again. Because mm. I thought you'd go back to prison for um, uh, the same offence. But obviously not. Uh, he put me back in I went, back to, I went to a high down for about a year. It was fucking awful. I was gutted. But in that prison, I met a guy. This is fun. This is, this is a fun little story. You'll enjoy this. In that prison, I met a guy called um, Justin. A real lovely fella. Blah, 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 blah. I see him around one day in his cell. And I was in there with Johnny Palmer, bless him. He got shot last year. Gutted up. Remember Johnny Palmer? Who's Johnny Palmer? He was called watching? Goldfinger. And uh, he was worth, He was the most, he was the richest criminal going, 300 million he was worth. And uh, I was in with him. He's a lovely fellow. He was real sad. He was part of this, um, he did this Canary Island back in the day timeshare thing and ripped them all off. Made millions. I remember sitting in his cell one day in, in Hydan and he fucking, I couldn't believe it. He bought a, he bought a, 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 a Bentley over the phone. You're not dying, I'm out of colour. He's going to get me a Bentley. And he bought, he bought it like that. I was like... But everybody used to go and we sad to get roll-ups and skins and burn. And uh, he was such a lovely fella. But anyway, I met this guy called Justin and I was sitting with him one day and um, looking at his photo, I said, isn't that Jason Satham? He went, yeah. I said, what? How come he's in your photos? He said, uh, we used to work together painting and decorating. Because Jason Satham used to be a high diver this time and the other. So this time, anyway, long story short, I got released again after about a year. Did you say quite... Jason Statham did time in Hyder? No, no, no. I was with another guy called Justin. Yeah. But I was looking at some photographs of Justin's and there was Jason Statham sitting there. I went, is that Jason Statham? I went, yeah, he's a mate one. Oh, cool. It was so funny because I've been fighting this case now for a while. A friend of mine had been fighting it and I was sitting on the hot plate and I was giving out bread. Justin was next to me and this, the, the screw came over to me and he went, yeah, Matt. And I've been there about a year now. I looked at this thing and said, you are to be released immediately. I had a fucking letter. So you right to the screws. Went, calm down, Matt. It's okay. So I come up with someone. Mates are going. Can I have your trainers? Can I have your telly? Can I? <laughs> Everybody's on you. I said, take what the fuck you want, mate. So they let me go in the afternoon. And then Justin came out a few weeks later. And then he ran me up. Said, Matt, um, <coughs> um, Jason has invited us to um, the premiere of Revolver. Do you want to come? I said, fucking yes, I'm here. This I'm here. That sounds like fun. Borrowed a suit off him, Leicester Square, straight in. Revolver, there was obviously Guy Ritchie. I'm a, I love Madonna. Right in front of me. And Laws, I could have smacked him on the fucking head. <laughs> I had all these people around me. I had the Mickey Rourke, Rene Rousseau, uh, Luc Besson. And I was invited to a fucking premiere. And I was sitting there on my phone and Sammy, my mate, went, Matt, Fuck's sake, on the news, I've just seen you walk into the premiere of Revolver <laughs> with Justin, with his ginger hair. And I went, so I said, oh, I couldn't believe it. All these famous people. Sting. Do you know what I mean? So we watched this film, which was shit. 
a shit film. And everybody's told about this. It's called Revolver. And it was so funny because we were walking out and Jason said, I think I'm running across. As me and Justin came sort of came out of the, the cinema. There's a limousine for me, Justin and Jason. <laughs> Jumped in this fucking limo. Off up the road to the party. Walked into this place. They've all got these revolver. All these sex. We've got these revolver t-shirts on. And there's me, Justin and Jason. I've had a few beers by now. I'm getting a bit. Oh, this is fun. And it's just shots. This whole fucking bar is covered in shots. And I've walked in with Justin and Jason. Statham. I remember walking downstairs to the green room, all around with sushi. There was Stephen Graham there, and all these all these film stars. You know, I remember I remember sitting there thinking, "This is great fun." And there was Madonna over there arguing with Guy Ritchie. I'm thinking, "I'm going to take a photograph of this." <laughs> I thought, "No, I can't do that. It's really bad, isn't it?" Because nobody knows who I am. <laughs> I could be anybody. You know what I mean? I'm just some guy that's a designer from a fucking design place in fucking Rygates. And I've just been invited to this thing. I'm going upstairs for a piss. There's Sting trying to get past Sting. Thinking, fuck me, Sting. <laughs> and there's there's Luke Besson, who I love. I love Luke Besson's work. He did the Fifth Element, yeah. And he was with the with that bird that was in the Fifth Element. She was there, his wife at the time. And there was Andre Three Thousand out of Outcast. Everywhere I looked, there was somebody going going on. And Mickey Rourke there with his rubber face, and I was thinking, this is fucking mental. And I was sitting with this woman called Honey. She was so lovely. She went, oh man, it's a real American chick. And I said, she went, um, oh my god, man, you got to come to the states. I've still got to read my phone. Actually, Honey, her name was. What's this? Oh, P- uh, 50 Cent would love you. And she's only 50 Cent's PR. She thinks, <laughs> she thinks I can just sort of jump on any plane next minute and just fly out to the set. Because I don't know who I am. And I mean, you could be anybody if you keep yourself quiet. And I sat in this place, this sushi came around, which I love sushi. But I was like, I had too many fucking drinks. And I was like, I can't eat that. But the people I saw there, it was just, and I was like two days partying. Wow. With all these mental, it was like mental. It was just like, Jason Statham and Justin, my mate, and I'm just hanging with all these really cool people. And I'm just Matt that sort of just does make signs and I'm from Rygate and I've been lent a suit that doesn't fit me. It's all too big. And I'm chatting to people and they think, you know, I'm somebody that I'm not. And they could, I could be a director, a writer or, you know, but I just sat there. I had such a laugh. It was so funny. Hanging <laughs> with all these men. Oh, my God. 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 Yeah, it was so funny. There you go. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so then when did you first learn about the cancer? Um, it was in January. I um, Off this year? Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I had a bit of a cough and it was one of those adverts on the TV where it said, um, um, if you've had a cough along the month, you could have cancer. It was quite quite abrupt, to be honest. It was just like, oh, I've had a bit of a cough for about a month now. This is like in November. And was it throughout so. the entire day? Every <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Just a bit of a cough. And um, I went to this doctor after work in Rygate, and they said, I'll tell you what, Matthew, what you told me, I think we should get an X-ray. And they X-rayed me, and they found a little tiny shadow on my right lung here. And um, the, the, the mad thing was, it was... Um, I had a bit of double. I had a bit of a, a vision thing at the time, and um, they sent me for an MRI, which was horrible. And at that moment in time, they found three lesions in my brain at the same time. So it all sort of coincided together with this, and they did a biopsy, which was horrible because they put this like sort of sort of ten centimeter needle into your back. They're dead around it, but they keep on sticking you in an, an MRI, uh, uh, sorry, a CT scan, and so they can get the needle in the right angle, so they can chop a bit of your bloody cut lung out while you're awake. <sighs> so they did that, but they anyway, it was very weird. I was feeling, I could actually feel something inside me, just and they snipped about seven pieces of my lungs, a little bit, and they found out I had stage four lung cancer. 
that had traveled to my brain that metastasized up to here. And they, um, it was awful really because I found out I had cancer over the fucking phone. I was at work and what the East Surrey Hospital had done was they'd contacted um, the Royal Marsden in London in, uh, in um, the, the proper hospital, it's a lovely hospital, Royal Marsden, and they told him that I had cancer. So the Royal Marsden rang me up the following day and said, Miss Simpkins, yes, I'm bringing up from Royal Marsden. Can you come in tomorrow and have a brain scan? I said, why is that? He said, it's about your lung cancer. I said, I didn't know I had lung cancer. Over the fucking phone. So I went up to my boss and said, I've got to go. I've got, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to sort of process this. I can't understand what's going on at the moment. So, uh, yeah. So we, um, this biopsy, this, this, that and the other. So what they did was in January, they put me on a thing. Obviously, when they have these, these bits, they dip them into certain sort of remedies and they found out that uh, immunotherapy was quite good, not chemo. So basically, and then obviously I had a sore leg for a month and that, and I said my leg was sore and I did x-ray that and they found out cancer in my leg and they put a titanium pin in my leg now because it was like, it was a bit like sort of um, a big bite had been taken out of it. It was really weird. It was a big bit missing. So stage four, the highest stage. Yeah, that's it. It's game over basically. Uh, when you get stage four, because it means it's massive it's moving around your body. So it was there, and they found three in my brain. One, two, three. I've had brain surgery in the Royal Marsden, which was quite funky because they sort of lock you in and um, didn't cut them to my head. They they send in a laser into your brain and they burn it out, supposedly. And they said there's a 75% chance that it'll be okay. So they did that. <coughs> Excuse me. And they did that. Um, but yeah, it was quite shit because... Um, they put me on this immunotherapy for four months and um, I go in every uh, three weeks, have a blood test. I just go on a Thursday, have a blood test, see my doctor and go on a Friday and they give me this immunotherapy. which was very quick. It was only half an hour. Well, that was cool. <clears throat> I was supposed to be carrying on with my life and I'd finally given up my work. I said, I can't do this anymore, Simon. My boss is a lovely man. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I get stressed about coming to work. I get stressed about this. So I got into the government, this, that and the other and the government... Um, pay me some money now and um you know just um i live now i live my life actually i love my life it's good so have they told you that the treatments could stop this or is it a case of longevity <laughs> what happened was um i went on to this um uh, uh immunotherapy for four months which was only a half an hour hit and basically what it was supposed to do was turn your immune system into like superman so basically your immune system would attack the cancer wherever it was but it could actually attack your body parts itself so it could go the other way so I was just about to finish my immunotherapy and I went on Thursday and I saw my doctor and it wasn't my doctor. It was somebody else. I'd never seen it before. And she said, I'm terribly sorry, Matt, but the immunotherapy hasn't worked. It's moved from your one lung to both your lungs, to both your kidneys, to your abdomen, to your around your heart. And I went, well, that's not very good. So they so said tomorrow, instead of coming in for immunotherapy, you're going to come in for, 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 for full chemo, which is eight hours. So I got there at eight and I wouldn't leave there till six, seven in the evening. And I was just plugged in. Both these veins are ruined now. They're they like uh, blocks. They're solid. So I had that for four months. But obviously, if you go to my YouTube channel, you say, do you want to become a friend of Matt Simpkins on YouTube? I'm not on YouTube, on uh, Facebook. It was so lovely because it was, uh, it was a month and a half or so back. Then I've been having my chemo. Fucking tiring. But I never, it never really did too much to me, to be honest. I, um... Bounce back. I just, I, I, you know, no hair. They reckon it's like a, a hundred, one in a hundred, the hair falls out. And there are 235 different cancers. And they reckon half the population will get cancer. 
but you can take a pill and get rid of it. It's just like, it depends how strong, strong it is. Uh, but yeah, so um, I remember a few, you know, maybe a month and a half ago, I um, went for my blood tests and it was a really nice morning. I'm very superstitious about magpies and stuff. And I saw two magpies and this and that. And I was just like, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, that's a nice day. I was off to hospital. And uh, my doctor came in, Dr. Ansari. And I went, you're going to tell me something good, aren't you? She went, yes. She said, I said, what? She said, the chemotherapy's working. She said, it's attacking your nodes. She said, it's breaking the cancer down. I said, you're, f honestly, I was so in shock. Because I thought, I'm never going to be cured, I don't think, Sean. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you're riddled with cancer, like I am. But she said, it's working. And she said, you're going to go into maintenance mode now. So tomorrow I'm going to go and see her again tomorrow. I have a blood test. They take loads. I take an arm for every time I fucking go there. And I hate fucking needles. <laughs> I'm like a pincushion. They're always sticking shit in me all the time. You know what I mean? Like mm. can fucking cannulas. I hate them. I'm covered in cannula marks. So I see her tomorrow. I take a blood test. And then on Monday, I'm going in for a maintenance mode, <clears throat> which won't be eight hours. It will be um, uh, like some, maybe an hour. And they give me a bit of this and a bit of this. And that's it. So I'm just praying that um, it's working. But like I think I told you before on the phone the other day, I'm not scared of dying. I was to start with. And then I decided that, um, as you can tell you guys, I've had a brilliant life. That exciting. You've got an amazing spirit, Matt. In the face of this cancer, you just like glow. Your energy is just glowing. Your eyes are lit up. Well, that's it. It's a case of um, I've made a few of my little, I don't do blogs. I do like a, a minute every morning on my phone. I lay in my bed and talk to my phone, put it on Facebook. And I transfer it over to my YouTube channel, which my friend uh, Jasmine Jackson puts up there for me. She's a lovely girl. And uh, yeah, so, um, but I haven't got time for cancer. I haven't got time. Too busy. Since, since I've given up my job and saw my lovely TT, which I loved, for my friend Tom, I had to get a family car. And again, I think it's told you before, like, um, since this has happened, my karma is beautiful. I might have terminal cancer, but everything I touch is brilliant. It is so, so cool. Like, you know, in the last, since this has happened, I've done so much. I've been out to Spain, spent 10 days out in Spain. I spent time while I was smuggling friends and we were laughing about it. I've not been to Gibraltar for 20 years. Spent 10 days there with my sister. And just had this fantastic fucking time. I came back, went to Cheltenham, spent a weekend in Cheltenham with all my friends. Then a weekend before last, I went to the spa, drove 720 miles with my beautiful sister, Jay, and drove all the way to spa and watched the spa. And when I walked into spa, it was quite weird because where I had to sit was two miles away. It was a fucking, it's all hilly. So I walked in and I had my paperwork with me that I had cancer. <coughs> and I said, um, I've got cancer. Okay, so got any people? Yeah, I went, well, you can sit wherever you want. Come sit over there. And they put me in one of the best spots. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. There was me and Jay. I was in Spa in Belgium. Walking straight over here. And there I was in this best spot with all the invalids and this, that. And you know, I could do what I wanted. And I was, I was in the start straight to the first corner. And it was just so lovely. So, you know, it's, it, it's terrible to have terminal cancer, but uh, there are some benefits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just blown away. <clears throat> people are going to find this, this so inspirational. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there watching this that are going through difficulties in their lives. Precisely. Maybe even some people who've got cancer. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to say to those people? Well, I just feel that uh, never give up, guys. Never, ever give up. It's a case of um, I, I like chemotherapy and I think that people just sort of hide in the corner. When the word chemotherapy comes up, they think that's it, game over. It's not very nice. It's an eight-hour process. Uh, but I think if you're positive about life, you know, and, uh, you know, 
And it's like, just get on with it. It's, it is. I just feel so. I love my life. It's the happiest I've been. But it's a very mad thing to say. But I have so many fun things to do now, my kids and my family, because I don't have to go to work. The government give me a bit of money. I've got a nice little family car. We go to the beach, we do stuff. And uh, obviously, if it started to to, to, to to impede on my lifestyle and I did actually start getting down, then it would be a different matter. But I don't think it's going to catch me because I'm too busy. I'm speechless. What an amazing story and what a powerful ending. I'm like, I'm like almost in tears. Give me a hug. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank Everyone, please support Matt. Go on his YouTube channel. Please subscribe. And let, let's support Matt as much as we possibly can. <coughs> if you've enjoyed this video, please put some comments in the description box and let us know how you feel. Take care out there. Cheers.